Welcome everyone once again after a bit of a hiatus. Uh, this is the Rose Experience, and I have no idea what episode this is. But today I'm very happy to be joined by Eric Kane. Um, yeah, here you are. Hello, thanks for having me. This is fun. We've, it's been we've too been long. Trying to do this. Well, we did do this. Yeah, once. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't air that one though. And uh, it was a hell of a time, but we got a little bit inebriated and Uh some things are best left under wraps. Even the best, I think. Uh, I mean, Tupac had about three worth of albums and then he passed away. So, I mean, we can at least shelve one podcast, right? We're basically Tupac now. Yes, we are. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe like little clips of that podcast will be released from time to time just for fun. That would be funny. I think the most inebriated section of that podcast, we'd actually stopped recording, maybe. Oh, yeah, we did take a break. We did take a break, a pee break, and then came back. We're like, all right, Uh, where were we? All right. (laughs) Then I got in trouble with my girlfriend at the time because I smoked a cigarette out in my yard. And she was like, where? Like, you you said you'd be done like an hour and a half. Her back was hurt at the time, to be fair. And I was like kind of taking care of her. But uh, yeah, I got in trouble. Oh yeah, I ate my wife sometimes. She's like, you know, how? What do you talk about? I'm like, I don't know, yeah, I don't know. things, <laughs> things that I enjoy and I'm interested in, but I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but this isn't a podcast about significant others, past or present. This is about you and me. That's right. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we've been trying to do this for a bit. Um, it's always hard to pin time down with busy people, especially fathers. I mean, you're a father. Yes. Children yes. much older. You're a father, than me, yes. and I am a a father not your father but i am a father <laughs> yeah your 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 kid is two my my daughter is 15 and my son is 12 so my kids are are old enough to um be pretty so like they're inside doing their own thing tonight uh for a bit while i'm out here um but it's funny because two and 15 are, are really similar ages you really have to actually focus a lot on parenting at those ages like 12 was pretty easy 15 it's like all my energy going into to parenting. So yeah, that's uh, that makes it harder to get onto podcasts these days, but I will find out one day, but uh, yeah. yeah, you always get this parenting advice from everyone. And it's not like it isn't appreciated very much as I, some, some parents I know, you know, they get so defensive. Oh, you know, I don't, everyone's always telling me what to do. I'm like, okay, one, I don't know why you have to be so defensive. People are just trying to help you out. I mean, I guess <laughs> right. there's a different way. I, I wasn't there for the advice. Maybe they are being a bit of a jerk about it. But what I find, whether it's my parents or whoever else, they're just trying to, you know, everyone has experience in, in things and they're trying to share things, whether it's kids or about anything else. Like, I don't know, man. I'm always trying to listen and learn new things. Well, there's a lot. to. I mean, there's a lot to learn and it's like always change because as your kids get older, everything keeps changing, right? So... What works at seven doesn't work at 10. What works at 10 doesn't work at 15, you know, and I have no idea what it's, you know, what what will it be like when they're grown up? You know, it's all, it's always shifting and advice is, it can be good, but also it's like, you have to kind of figure it out. It's one of those things you just have to figure out because every kid's different. You're, you know, each parent's relationship with each kid is different. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, it's a lot. And I I sort of say, just roll with the punches, uh, you know, (laughs) I don't really have, I don't really have much like parenting advice because it's just like, I don't know, (laughs) just, I just try to be myself with my kids and we have, we do have, we have a lot of fun. I I love to play Call of Duty with my kids. We watch a lot of great shows and movies together. Um, I, I enjoy it. It's fun. And that's some of the stuff we're going to touch on today. Uh, you know, video games and, and TV and life in general, I hope, but we're going to learn a little bit about you 
and where, how you started and how you became to do what you do, because that's what I'm interested in talking. And maybe I can give a little bit to some people out there that are listening. You know, how can I write? How can I podcast? How can I? Uh, I've I've interviewed indie developers like yourself. You you've I mean, you have a podcast of your own where you do this more or less. Sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah, and me sometimes too. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. no, I want to get it going again too because it is fun to podcast and talk with I all these interesting people. You know, yeah, I think it's a blast. But one thing I will say in terms of the parenting advice, just to wrap that up, is I think the one piece of advice that I do appreciate and I, I get it a lot is enjoy it. It um, goes fast, especially those first, you know, few years where I'm in right now, and I'm just trying to soak it all in. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I, and that's one thing I think, whether you have children out there or, or, or you don't, children gave me the perspective of really sort of living more in the moment. Uh, I'm always trying to think about what's next. You know, I own my own business, so it's always thinking, projecting and things. And, you know, everyone does it, or at least they should try to do that. But having a little one who is on a different, like, mindset and they're just, the entire world is their a new oyster that they're opening every single day and everything is new to them. And it's like, you have to be on their level or, or you're just not going to get it and you're going to miss it. And then mm-hmm. blink, you know, blink, they're two blink, they're four and a half blink, they're five and they're going to school. And then when they're going to school, they're kind of out of your hands and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. You have mm-hmm. less control. So, I mean, not to get all sappy and shit. It's just, that is one thing that fatherhood uh, parenting has taught me. Totally. Live in the moment. Yeah, no, that's very true. Because it does really go fast. It's crazy looking back on pictures of my kids. Because I'll, you know, when I moved into this house that I'm in now, you know, it was like about six, six ish years ago. But if you look at, you know, pictures of me and the kids, the kids are just so much smaller. I mean, I look basically the same, just a little different, a little older, but they look totally different. And it's like, holy crap, they have grown up so much in just the last five years, you know? And did it you, does. It's just did oh, you just know, knows. like when it was happening? Did you know? Well, it's it's crazy because it's like yes and no. Like when they start hitting certain ages, it's just like they change so quickly. Like like becoming an adolescent or a teenager, uh, you know the difference. Like in my daughter, from like she's just just turned fifteen this summer, but if you just go back three or four years, she looks like a little kid. But now mm-hmm. she looks like a like a almost like a full grown woman now it's and yeah. it just happens so fast it's like you see it happening but it's still when you look back at a picture from a few years ago you're like wait how, when did that happen i just don't, i don't understand like my son is like he's 12 and he's almost as tall as my daughter now he just keeps sprouting up so fast mm-hmm. it's like okay pretty soon he's going to sound well, he still sounds like a boy, but any day now, he's gonna his voice is gonna change. Oh, it's gonna start sound, cracking, you know? yeah, and all that, and then that's gonna be crazy. I can't even, <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. Honestly, <laughs> sort of, it's sort of, it's wonderful, and and it's sad, and it's all those things. So you're right, live in the present and and um, enjoy them. And and honestly, like at each age, there's something cool about kids, right? From from being a very small infant to being a teenager, there's always something new that's fun about having kids. And something new that's challenging about having kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because as they get older too, like, you know, I, oh, of course I miss my kids when they were, you know, eight, eight or nine, that really fun age where they're just, they're kids, but they're big enough that they're really self-sufficient. But then there's something fun about as they get older, you can share more experiences with them, watch more grown up 
TV shows with them, have more grown up conversations about life and all that kind of stuff too, which is really cool. Kind of see them become human. So, yeah. I can't wait, but I don't remotely mm-hmm. want to run. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it'll happen before you know it. So, <laughs> and like, I'm an, I mean, I'm like a nostalgic guy. Like, I'm yeah. a, everyone think like I, I played sports. I'm like a guy's guy, man, man, but I'm a sap. Like, honestly, I'm a sap. I can't make it through the beginning of Up ever. <laughs> no, neither can I. Like, buddy, I turn into a fucking mess. <laughs> like a mess. The same way. <laughs> it's just the whole thing. And I'm like, I'm like, how is this is the most heartbreaking thing I've ever seen. It's it's it destroys me. But anyway, yeah, it is. It is. Oh, my God. I watched that with my and grandma. And I sit down and think and about was... my son getting older. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is. Oh, anyway. But anyway, let's, yeah. let's talk about Eric Kane. I have you on. Uh, once again, thank you very much for joining yeah. me. Um, for me. You know this, but this is a profanity laden podcast if we so choose. So if you want to keep your ears virgin, probably not. Uh, a good idea to listen to this one but um yeah i wanted to have eric on today uh to interview learn a little about his career path how he became to do what he does uh and our similar interests which is video games but eric's gone in different directions recently i'm i'm really excited to talk to him about that today so why don't we just start with the basics man and just be like who are you uh you know what do you do now and really how did you get on that path um, yeah, well, so I, you know, um, I write about video games, TV shows, movies, that kind of stuff at Forbes. Um, I'm a long-term freelance writer at Forbes. I've been there writing consistently, you know, at least every, I mean, pretty much not every day cause I'm not Paul Tassi, but almost every day, uh, for the last 11 plus years, I don't even know over a decade. Um, And I, yeah, so how I started was interesting. I was working, I'd graduated uh, from university and was just sort of working a job that I never thought I would have, which was a logistics job at an ice cream cone factory, uh, which was, you know, I was an English major, so I was not, that was not really my, my ideal job, but I had little, very small children and um, just had to have something. So, uh, had that. And then I started, I was sort of on my off time. And then when I was bored at work, I was blogging. So I was kind of like, yeah, I was sort of moonlighting, but, um, just for fun at first, uh, me and some other online writers, um, started a website called the league of ordinary gentlemen. And that was a political blog basically, um, that we actually had some success with, uh, some people that that wrote that, that have written there over the years have gone on to become like New York Times columnists, work at uh, write for Slate, obviously Forbes. Um, Ethan Gash at Kotaku wrote there for a while. We had a lot of different people go to a lot of different places from that blog. Um, I wrote a post there about this website called True Slant, and um, it was a, it was a, like a blog blogging site that that popped up years and years ago. Um, Matt Taby wrote there. Um, a lot of different people did, and I wrote kind of a critical piece about it. And then I got an email from one of the um, producers there, and they were like, "Hey, so what, what would you want to write about for us?" And I was like, "Oh, okay. I wrote I wrote a critical piece about your website. And now you want to pay me to write for you." So that so I started writing uh, there, um, and then 
it turns out that the guy who started that, Louis Dvorkin, um, had worked at Forbes previously, and he built this website, Choose Slant, as a model, as a template for Forbes to go into the future with. And they purchased his template and brought him and all the sort of leaders of that, or like executives of that site over to Forbes. And they took over Forbes, basically, took over uh, running Forbes. And they brought a lot of us with them. So I was brought over from True Slant to Forbes. My contract was renewed with Forbes, uh, which was awesome. It was a, it was a crazy, lucky, wacky opportunity to, um, to write for a much bigger platform all of a sudden. And at the time, I was writing about politics, but they didn't really want me to do politics at Forbes because Forbes at the time was, of course, like kind of a conservative business publication. And um, so I wrote about education and then I wrote about the war on drugs and I wrote about police brutality and like the the the, uh, I wrote about the uh, military militarization of the police and the uh, overcrowding of prisons and all this kind of stuff in the beginning. Um, a lot of stuff that actually <laughs> got really relevant recently with like Black Lives Matter that. and all that. But I was doing oh, this pressure. 11 years ago, right? So well before that kind of like blew up. Um, and then I got sort of tired of it. It was like education and war on drug stuff seemed really depressing after a while. Um, and I was like, hey, maybe I should write. Can I write about tech? And they're like, sure. And I started writing about like, tech and i was like i don't really care about tech how about video games and they said sure you can write about video games so i started writing about video games which happened to just be right before the mass effect 3 thing the whole retake mass effect the whole fiasco sort of went up in flames and um it was interesting because i had never written about video games before but i was writing about them right you know for the few weeks probably maybe a couple months before that happened and um and it just was the perfect timing because I what, – what was weird about that moment in, is that, you know, Mass Effect 3 came out and a lot of people were really unhappy with the ending. And But the, the, the spin in the, in the gaming press – and this was my first real introduction to the video game um, press, media, whatever uh, – was that game, all these gamers were super entitled, probably homophobic – etc 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 and i was like wow this is terrible all these entitled gamers they're they're homophobic and they hate this game and then i was like talking with gamers i actually like you know went on read some forums and interacted with some gamers and i was like wait a minute no they're not they're upset because of this whole story you know they 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 were promised multiple meaningful endings they got the red green blue and so i started writing about uh mass effect from the perspective of consumers rather than the perspective of I, f- I feel like the publishers and the the sort of the you know the the way the press was handling it was like all oh, these entitled gamers they're so they're so bad they're so blah 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 and um, just got like so much great feedback um, and grateful people saying thank you for like telling our side of the story I was like well yeah you're the consumers like I thought we were supposed to be covering video games for you not for you know the big game publishers. Um, so obviously I'm going to tell that side of the story. And that's really my introduction to video game writing. And um, it was it was quite a trip. Uh, I don't think I made a lot of friends in, in the video, in video game journalism. Although I will say I wrote a pretty critical piece of Colin Moriarty. And uh, he actually really appreciated it. And we have been friendly ever since. Um, and we've talked many times. But he, yeah, he had written about... Um, entitled gamers and i had cr- criticized his take on that and then i think he actually 
was appreciative to get that pushback. And I think it's actually, it actually probably helped him think differently about kind of where he was at. And he said so to me in the past. So, so that was all, all really successful and really great. And it was, it was a crazy introduction to video game journalism. Um, and, and it turns out that video games were every bit as controversial and crazy and absurd and divisive as anything I'd written about before, including education and the war on drugs. So that was a trip. But that's so kind of how it all got kicked off. Let's pause right there and just retread some of that because it's I we had spoken before, so we're covering some familiar ground for us yeah. personally. Um, uh, but I didn't know that you had only started writing about video games right at the time around the Mass Effect Three country because mm-hmm. that's where I became familiar with you. And like you, I was well, I was blogging on IGN. I became like their I mean, big deal. I had more features from their community than anyone ever. I think I had something like 50 features on IGN and I was writing there a lot. And similar to you, I had this, I was on, there was the Bioware forums, which are now shut down. And I was seeing all those pieces from games media, like you were saying, and you're pretty, you're like, okay, this is really not what I'm, I'm reading about. Sure. There were some people out there with some outlandish, ideas and demands and things but i think the vast majority of fans while disappointed were offering very constructive feedback and and ass and criticism and and completely open to conversation while not only games media but then after a, a, an extended duration of silence bioware themselves started they they offered like a mealy mouth um offering of like dismissive and almost trying to paint with a wide brush, which we see a lot today, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, whatever, which they eventually had to go back on. But um, yeah, so I, I, I'm trying to, I, I remember because I wrote a piece um, on the onset of Andromeda, which harkened back um, to a lot of. It basically had the slant that did Bioware learn from the mistakes of. They, they had to deal with what happened with Mass Effect 3 if they were ever going to move on in mm-hmm. Mass Effect as a whole. And it's like, did they learn the lessons? My conclusion was no. And I think I was right about that. But it it pulled on a lot of your articles that you had. You had about three key pieces, I think, on the Mass Effect 3. There was the the, the Colin Moriarty one, which he, he says in his career, I think Colin really relishes in being a contrarian sometimes and he yeah. gets caught up in that. <laughs> but I mean... And he and, and to his credit, he actually liked Mass Effect three more than I think most. He he gave it like a really really high review, uh, but I think he said after the fact is that was probably his if there was one thing he could probably take back in his career, it was that video, yeah. um, the entitled. Well, I mean, I mean, we all that's what that's we all have like, that. We make these mistakes and we we say things that we in in retrospect we wish we hadn't. Um, sure. So, you know, and I think it's important that that we recognize them. And Colin's great like that because he um, does, I think. You know, he's just I disagree with Colin on a lot of things, <laughs> politics and whatnot. But I like his approach um, and he's a really down to earth guy and just super nice. And um, it's funny how you know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Colin, but it's yeah. just strange to me how like controversial a figure he's become because I just don't see it. <laughs> I just don't understand I, I don't, it. And I, I don't. <laughs> And I'm sure some people, if they ever watch this, uh, and we'll get to some of those people later in our conversation, but they were like, 
of course you don't. You're of this, of this. But I just think a l- normal people would look at the whole scenario and say, do I agree with a lot of it? Maybe not, or maybe I don't really care. But in the grand scheme of things, to paint someone as a pariah in right. an entire industry over something so mild. And even some of the th- other things they've painted for him as in terms of tweets, like I've, again, he's probably my favorite person to disagree with in the industry. He just right. doesn't know it. Uh, but we've lost that ability to disagree. Um, Sorry. I'm bye bye, doggy. I'm messaging my <laughs> stop, my daughter to put the dogs inside. That's no problem. I'm podcasting. I don't know if she's, I'm going to text my son also. Sorry. They just, there's this dog across the fence. Um, that just is outside barking all the day, all day long, and they just go crazy. I have a Rottweiler, and I completely understand. So annoying! I hate that dog. If that dog ever dies, they're gonna they're gonna send the cops after me because they're gonna think I did it, and I, it's probably gonna be true. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't kill that dog, but I hate it. I hate the dog. It's so ridiculous. I love dogs. I hate that dog. But anyway, sorry. Colin is your favorite person no to disagree. He's with. my favorite person to disagree yeah. with. And I, like I said, I was on IGM back then. We had conversed a couple times. This is back right around this time, 2012, yep. uh, 2011. Uh, I remember talking to him about hockey. I'm a big Ovechkin fan, and he was. We would talk about that. And he's a long. He's a, a New York Islanders fan, anyway. But through that conversation, juxtaposition was you uh, from Collins, and and I really gravitated to the things that you were writing about. And you probably don't remember, but I I conversed. We went back and forth a few times, and I actually sent you a couple of my reviews. Um, one specific was my DMC review, which while you didn't agree mm. with, I think you liked. Um, yeah, but yeah. anyway, um, yeah, the DMC why- was another that 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 whole controversy came out came around pretty quickly after Mass Effect mm-hmm. with the uh, with the um, with all that. Boy, that yeah, and and then right after that, of course, was Gamergate. It's crazy when you think about what a compressed timeline that actually was because tw- 2012 was Mass Effect. 2013 would have been DMC. Yeah. And then 2014 was Gamergate. And and now it's 2022. <laughs> that's just we'll you know, that's two whole... years and now we're now we're ten years later from Mass Effect, which is crazy. And we'll get to uh, the whole yeah. eight fiasco in a bit because that is also <laughs> and you you had a a small part in that in again, yes. you played you kind of played the character not a character, it's who you are. I'm just in this story. You played a character similar to what you did with the Mass Effect 3 whole thing where you were just kind of just looking at it from a, an aspect and you're like, okay, well, let's take all the information here and and, and, and compile it here. And it's like, I just don't see what everyone's talking about. Here's right. kind of how I see it. And and whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. I think with- we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. So- um, I want to. I want to sort of stick on your career to sort of. Even though we, I haven't made any notes. You know this, and yeah. uh, we're both busy guys. But I kind of want to keep it somewhat concise in segments. Sure. But sort of your career. So, you prior, uh, you just started writing about games. Were you an avid video game guy prior to really taking yeah. on that task with Forbes? Yeah. Um, so of course, in 2012. I would have very, I would, I, my children are very small. So I, my gaming time was more limited than I would have liked around then. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause then I guess I would have had um, a two year old ish and a five year old. So, you know, it gets a little bit harder 
with really small oh, yeah. children. So those those, but yeah, at the time um, and before that, you know, for the for that phase of my life and right before I had kids, I was pretty uh, into like um, Counter Strike and Team Fortress Two and like Half Life and a bunch of you know Steam games, a lot of PC gaming, Skyrim. Um, so, um, but bef- but 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 I hadn't been playing as much as I'd wanted to. Before, uh, before that, you know, I grew up, my first console was an NES. Uh, actually, my parents told me I could never have a video game console. And then on my 10th birthday, I think it was my 10th birthday, 9th or 10th, I opened up this present and it was uh, NES and I just burst into tears. I was like sobbing with surprise and joy, like, because it was just such a, I really literally thought I could never have a video game console. And then they surprised me with one, which I think they must have thought was kind of, fun and cute but i was just thrown off so badly but uh so i started with that and then i played you know I'd, um i didn't always have enough money and to afford a lot of the systems um but i had a, a ps2 uh and I'd, i guess i'd really i'd never i didn't have an xbox until the 360 um so yeah, and I played a lot of PC gaming. I you know I, st- I got into the build building PCs because when I bought Half Life Two, my Dell computer that I had wouldn't play it. It wouldn't even play it at all. It was just like, and I and so I was like, okay, well I'm gonna have to upgrade it. But then I couldn't upgrade it because it didn't have a, a slot for a graphics card. So I just started building computers and um, got into to games. So I've been playing a lot of um, yeah a lot of multi especially multiplayer stuff with friends like Counter Strike and Team Fortress Two and whatnot before. Um, and then, you know, got into some of the, some of the RPGs like, uh, Dragon Age and Mass Effect and things like that. And Skyrim and, um, I guess Oblivion before Skyrim. That's, that's what I would have, would have started on. That was my first, um, Elder Scrolls game. So, so yeah, I was a pretty avid gamer when I could find the time. And as a kid, I played a ton of games. So, but yeah, I'd never thought about like doing that as, that was never a, in the realm of possibilities for like a career option. I never really considered that maybe someday I would write about video games. It wasn't a goal. It just was like, once I was writing, once I was blogging professionally, I thought, well, what if I could blog about something I really enjoy? And um, so, yeah. So prior, like, I know you're like, can I write about video games? Had you written anything in your career prior to that about video games, like you're blogging at all? Nope. Not at all. That's crazy. Um, no, I hadn't. I uh, I had. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's possible that I had maybe mentioned them. I think I did. So I'd done um, video game adjacent stuff. Like when I was at the uh, when I was doing just for fun blogging at the League of Ordinary Gentlemen, I'd written like um, like reviews of some of uh, Game of Thrones books. Like I'd done a Winds of Winter review and some of that stuff that kind of was in my hobby realm. But I don't think I'd ever done any video game writing at all until then. That's interesting. But yeah. I mean, it's not like the most. If you're into it and you already write, it's pretty easy to to move into video games. It, I mean, it was a transition to... because I, I was. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, sorry. I was. Ninety percent of the people that write about video games have no idea about how video games are made. So it's more about just talking yes. about critically, uh, uh-huh. op eds, things of that nature. Which is, as long as you have the gift of the gab in terms of the writing, you could definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, I I like being able. So I yeah, I would like to know more about how they're made. That's probably a deficiency in my and I and I you know because I've when I talk with people like Ollie Barter, who is a colleague of mine, 
Uh, he, of course, has worked in video games so much that he knows a lot about the industry and about game, how games are made. And I think that gives him certainly an edge on on his video game writing. So I think it'd be fun. I, I would honestly like to, at some point, maybe stop being a video game journalist or journalist at all, because sometimes it sucks a lot. Um, and just get into actually maybe working on actual creative projects instead. But it's kind of a weird transition to make, and it's a little hard when I, you know, you, you have to know people and you have to meet people and find connections to do that. But but it, I, I would like to learn more about making them. Um, I do think it's important that you you're able to play them pretty well to write about them. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, I don't think all game journalists actually play video games, um, unfortunately. But although to be fair. If you're just covering like the business of video games, I don't think you really need to be very good at video games. If you're writing reviews, you should probably be decent at them. You know. Moving to that, uh, I mean, I think you and I have had conversations, and or our conversations past is we're both critical of the games industry in terms from a media aspect, and that is a topic that I completely agree with. That I again, I see it all. You know why. A review is just one person. Don't you want a review of the average person who, who I guess the average person in their eyes is someone that isn't very good at video games. So mm-hmm. by extension, them giving you the perspective of someone who isn't good at video games is acceptable. Mm. Me personally, I, I, I look at it like this. <laughs> video game writing I guess they give them the title of professional video game writers, but it's the only profession, quote unquote, that can cover an industry that one, they honestly mostly have no fucking clue in terms of what it's about. They don't know how games are made. They have no concept of what goes into them, really, other than the broad strokes complaining about overworking or um, these things, which definitely matter. I mean, these things matter. They they don't understand why the overworking happens. If I can right. if I can say that, and then I see the other extension is is like, okay, if you're going to be paid to write about video games, you should at least have some sort of elevated knowledge beyond the person that the basement blogger, I suppose. Which again, I guess there's nothing wrong with the basement blogger. That's become a thing. But right. let's move back to when we're the time period about when you and I started conversing, the 2011, the 2012, which was really at the dawn of the the YouTube content creator where, yeah. I mean, the, the divide hadn't, or, or let's say the YouTube angle and content creator hadn't really caught up to the, like 2012 was still the heydays of your IGNs, your Polygons, mm-hmm. your Kotaku's all that stuff and some sites that don't even exist anymore. So they were still looked at as this, this elevated bastion of integrity, right? So (laughs) no, I I, I agree with you. I'm just saying, I mean, that's how they were portrayed or they held their self. Um, And a lot of people, I guess, would look at them like that. But I'm like, if you're going to talk to me professionally about video games, you one got to have the context of it. To, and you got to I mean, how are you going to understand them critically if you were god awful at them? Right. I don't understand that. Like, why am I going to listen to a film reviewer who can't break down cinematography in a, in a, in a film or doesn't know um, a director's IMDb, for Christ's sakes? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I just think it's, it's like a, it's a profession that's held up as professional along these other writers, movie writers, music writers, this and that. 
they don't have the the expertise to to be around that and not only that they're not paid enough to to retain the talent to maybe get that level of expertise anyone that's good for the most part or i shouldn't say good that garners some sort of notoriety sort of moves along and does mm-hmm. something else entirely or within the industry uh that doesn't involve just just writing but anyway um yeah what do you- no i mean i think that's true um you know you read read a a car review or mm-hmm. a gun review or something. You've got people that are very, very knowledgeable about cars and guns uh, writing those. I think for one thing, because it's, I don't know, maybe it just appeals to, to older people. Like there's more professionalism there. There's a lot of young people that write about video games. And so maybe they haven't fully developed their professionalism. Um, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot. So I think there's, there's a lot of people working in games journalism that write guides and that write all this stuff that doesn't like get to the front page of the conversation around video mm-hmm. games, right? And they're all super competent, I would say. Like for the most part, knowledgeable about games, they know how to play them, they're writing freaking guides. Guides, guides require that's, that you I mean that's that's nice. right. And they that's the that's and they also are some of the most lucrative parts of game journalism. Guides guides fund a lot of other game journalism um i know because i've written guides and they are they can get phenomenal traffic um depending on on the game and whatnot but um uh i think then you have you know you have a lot of people writing about games who it sort of feels like they want to write about something else but they're stuck writing about games so they bring a lot of sort of culture and politics into it and it's more interesting to write about kind of these social issues and they sort of lose track of writing about just the games for the game's sake and i get that because i've been dragged into a lot i mean like i i often bring politics into my writing sort of as like a as a like a count i'm often arguing against what a lot of game journalists are writing about um because i find a lot of it so crazy like just it's you know it's this media in general has come has gotten to this point though media has become very, very sort of agenda driven. Um, it's hard to get away from it, and it's it's like agenda driven no matter where you look, right, left, whatever. Um, but I think that agenda, for whatever reason, it's it's very strong in, in game writing, and it's been that way for a long time. Um, it's hard to know, you know, who's a competent video game player just from reading reviews, too. You know, it's what it's, I think that's one reason that YouTube's taken off. You know, you can see that the person playing the game is good at it. Or that they're decent enough and understand it enough to talk about it in, in interesting ways. I mean, I don't expect everybody playing games or writing about them or making YouTube videos about them to be like professional level awesome players. That's cool not. to see, but I definitely think a, a love a certain level of competence playing those games is is nice. Is nice. So I wish yeah, I'd like, gotten I... into YouTube more. Honestly, I shouldn't have. I should have done that earlier when it was when the when the world was uh, when the uh, YouTubing was like not as big as it is now. It's a little harder to get into. I think now. I, I mean, I agree, my friend. Before yeah. we both had children, I mean, I just didn't. It's something that, I mean, I had a career. I was doing something yeah. else entirely. And it's exactly. just like the thought of adding, I'm like, why am I going to do that? But mm-hmm. anyway. It's a lot of time like, and effort. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't need the pro gamer, man. I just need yeah. a little bit no. of competency. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, like, again, these other writing frontiers 
you can spot a you can spot a fraud from a mile away, but it seems games writing people are very apprehensive to point and say no, that guy or that girl they're they're misrepresenting it. They're just not either one they didn't play it long enough, two they're lying about it or three they're just not competent enough to understand cuz mm-hmm. my point is if you're not good at games, how can you possibly review them? How can you convey right. or understand the language that a developer is trying to tell you in the mm-hmm. gameplay. If you don't even, if you can't even grab the basic concepts, like I know people who went through Bloodborne, for example, or tried to, didn't even bother to try to learn how to parry. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, like that is a core <laughs> mechanic of the game. How, how do, do you, you get, get through that game? <laughs> like, you get the language of the game without yeah. even doing oh, it was too hard or it was this and that. I'm like, and then okay. they write easy mode columns. It needs an easy mode. No, learn to parry. And then it's pretty and easy, that's actually. Where a lot of it comes from, Eric. Like, <laughs> and it, we're old enough to understand where games started. You had an NES. I was a Sega kid growing up that, I mean, we didn't have the outlet of complaining. We just, I know mm-hmm. everyone hates it, but we had to get good or we just got gotten. Like, we were just, mm-hmm. games were too expensive. We didn't have a lot of them. No, Digital just a couple. weren't there. No. We just had to yeah. take what we had and and play it over and over and over until we got good at it. Yeah. So. Yeah, there were really hard games back then. And honestly, if there was a game that was too hard and I just wasn't having fun, well, then I'd freaking quit it. Like Battletoads. That third, that third level in Battletoads where you have to drive across and you constantly crash. I just got fed up with Battletoads. So I never beat Battletoads. But other games, like... You know, there, like, there was a lot of hard games that I didn't get so frustrated with. And they were fine. Um, I, had, I played some Sega games, too. My friend in um, fifth grade had a uh, Sega Master System. Yeah. And there were some great games on that on that thing. Like the Wonder Boy games were fantastic. Shinobi, I think, was on there. Um, yep. But yeah, Wonder like, Boy, and, there I, were, and then there were... Sorry, what? Wonder Boy was my Zelda. I yeah, mean, Wonder, Wonder Boy 1 was... I mean, Hudson Soft made like a knockoff of Wonder Boy 1 with the grass skirt. They just added a yeah. baseball to him. Yeah. But riding uh-huh. skateboards, throwing hammers. But Wonder Boy 2 was more of like a mm-hmm. pseudo... Um, Zelda veined RPG. That was a great game. And then equip things. Mm-hmm. And then Wonder Boy 3 was the Dragon's Trap, which um, mm-hmm. I forget the company just redid it and I bought it and it's, they did an awesome it, job on it. They did an awesome job. You could switch between the new graphics yeah. and the old graphics. Super cool. And, and the audio, it was it was so well done. But those were my Zelda games growing up. But again, like. Yeah. The third one was like a Metroidvania, basically. It was really cool. For sure. Yeah. There was. You could yeah. go in different paths. You, you uh-huh. Different things were unlockable with modes. But yeah, I. People, it's that. <laughs> the, the, the unwillingness, oh, this is too hard. And I don't mm-hmm. want to learn what the game is telling me. So I'm going to write something that is just nonsensical. I, I see a lot of that. And I honestly, I don't jive with it at all. Yeah, it's it's obnoxious and it's tiresome and it feels like it's often written by people who are sort of just unpleasant and who I wouldn't want to hang out with in real life, you know, um, <laughs> like and 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 it seems like a lot of game journalism and, and it comes and goes. But a lot of it is sort of like, you know, it's all it's all about getting clicks. And so there's something outrageous that's said or some like something some dog piling some attack some something that's going to get the, the blood flowing and that's the real that's like what a lot of people just live for um and it's often you know sort of holier than thou and judgmental and it seems like a lot of people who write about video games don't like their audiences don't care much for the industry and don't care much for the games themselves and it's just weird you know because 
Um, well, the industry, obviously, there's plenty to criticize because there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things within the industry that we can definitely call out and that that are bad and greedy and you know releasing games with tons of bugs and then you know, selling crappy DLC and over the years loot boxes just a, a litany of of bad yeah. things from the industry. But like I the the I think that gamers are just low hanging fruit like and and going after. You know, there was the whole thing I wrote about this with uh, that Hogwarts Legacy producer, um, Troy Leavitt, and of how people went after him, and and it's like it's just kind of a nasty space a, a lot of the time, and um, we really saw that with Gamergate. I know uh, we'll touch on that, but um, yeah, we're gonna get there. Or I yeah, think we're although we might be segging into that, yeah. Uh, well, um, you know, we saw so many people talking about like gamers are dead. We don't need gamers, and it's like ah, uh, but. Actually, gamers are just going over to YouTube, and YouTube has its own problems. But I mean, gamers were, were moving away from game journalism to YouTube, and really, gamers didn't need the game journalists. The game journalists were writing all this stuff about how we don't need them as an audience. And meanwhile, the vast, like, so many eyeballs were going over to YouTube and Twitch and video. And um, yeah, again, I should have gone into YouTube when I, when I was young. <laughs> but it's funny because. <laughs> Again, I push it right back to the time when I became familiar with you. It wasn't like that. Now, I know yeah. I, I don't really want to get into the real world, real world uh, repercussions of why things have changed. I mean, obviously, we, we kind of both know and understand what changed the discourse. But I feel like it definitely never used to be like this. And the people who were in the industry who actively had disdain for their audience were few and far between uh, back in 2012, 2013, and really even into the first part of 2014 before it coalesces into what Gamergate eventually became or was misrepresented or represented as. But And I, you, you did say something about how games writing and media is, tends to skew younger. But I mean, I'm also old enough to know most of those magazines were written by I mean, I wouldn't say old people, but they weren't exactly mm -hmm. young, sure. you know? I mean, yes, there were a few uh, who, you know, like your Jeremy Parrish, who's been doing it for a long time, who were in the, the magazine space or so. But a lot of these guys were, you know, they held on. They were in their 30s or, or mid-30s, and they were writing about games. I see. I think only recently it became more of a, a youth movement, I should say, Um and usually that's reserved for a positive thing where I don't think it's exactly a positive thing here. Um, but I, I think that's more discourse, but also because of the pay. Um, game media has gone more. I actually think salaries, I mean, you could probably attest to this more, but salaries in games media have probably gone down. It's so hard to know. I mean, ah. Uh... I mean, Ben Cuchero just let us all know a bunch of stuff about, <laughs> about it the other day on Twitter. Um, but, you know, I think it varies a lot because, well, first of all, there's just so many publications and blogs. It's impossible to keep up with. And, and I don't know, like, there's so many different ways. A lot of people work freelance and just pitching stuff and making, who knows, 50 bucks on, an, on, a, on a post or, you know, some, you know some, some people probably make more. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate because I've been, I've been able to, um, even though there's been... I've dealt with a lot of bullshit. Um, 
being able to write what I want as much as I want without having to pitch that all the time um, and get paid on traffic means that I've done really well for myself. I've been more like a YouTuber than a journalist in that regard. I'm a content creator. Lately, I just I start I've stopped thinking about myself as a journalist. I, I'm a content creator. Um, Forbes, you have no oversight. Oh, we have what? oversight. Okay, but but we're ever- given a swim lane, and and like someone like me or Paul, who have been there for so long and have basically seniority, have a lot of have a lot of f- freedom to to do what we want, because um, we were like ground level, like coming in with with the new, you know. So um, whereas a lot of people who are newer might have very narrow swim lanes, well, like Ollie writes about Japanese stuff, right? And some people might just have like a game that they write about there. And I can write about anything within my wheelhouse, which is like video games, genre, TV, movies. I can write about zombie shows. I can write about. So I have a very wide. I'm I'm, I'm fortunate in this. I can write about a very wide array of topics um, because I've been there for a long time and I've consistently been one of the top traffic drivers at Forbes for over a decade. And Paul is the same way. He can write about all the same stuff I write about. And he is almost always in the top five traffic generators at Forbes. And um, so we have, we do have some freedom and we do have some, we have a cool, we have a cool thing going. Um, But, but traffic's been, it's been a lot worse lately. Um, And I don't know if that's Google, if that's just all around. I've heard that traffic's bad for a lot of people lately. Um, The paywall at Forbes didn't help. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's mostly gone now. So that's nice. But yeah, so that's the downside of being paid on traffic. The upside is like, you know, when I was writing Game of Thrones reviews and they were doing 500, 600,000 hits, that's a, that's very lucrative. Um, that's like being a YouTuber. Um, and I want to talk so, about your your, yeah. your EV thing, but I guess has there, you don't have to give me details or you can give me details. Or kind of, has there ever been anything that you've submitted or wanted to write about that's been shot down? Very, very rarely. Yeah. Okay. Actually, sometimes it changes. So I've been here through lots of, you know, I've been at Forbes through lots of different management shifts and different people will come and go. And then there have been, been times when there, and there was a time once, years and years ago, where they were like, you guys aren't allowed to write about anything but games anymore. I was like, oh, okay. And then I talked to somebody like one of the I think editors and when I when we had a kind of meet and greet in San Francisco and I was like, you know, like every, all my readers want me to keep writing about Walking Dead. You guys have shut down my Walking Dead, and like, it's a great traffic generator. I have a lot of readers that are that want to read this, and he's like, "Okay, you can do it again." I was like, "Okay," so I started doing that again. And then there have been times where where people come in, somebody new will start, and they're like, "All right, we need to approve everything you do," and then we do that for a few weeks, and then they just stop caring, and then we just do what we want to do again. It's one of those things, you know, where it's like we've been doing this. We're veteran contributors. We know what works. We know how it works. And we'll probably outlast whoever comes in and tells us not to do it. So uh, that's kind of, it's kind of a crazy, you know, it's kind of like having a YouTube channel. Um, We don't have, you know, every once in a while, someone will come in and they'll be like, we're going to start editing your posts and they'll do that for a little bit and then they'll stop. So we, we don't have editors and we have quite a lot of, quite a lot of freedom. That's not, I mean, that's not universal there a lot of people will have like you only can write about this topic and within that topic you know go for it but most people at forbes most of the contributors write five six seven posts a month i've written 76 this month paul tassi has probably written 120 this month um 
because he somehow can just write like he's a machine. It's crazy. Everyone has their uh, own process. It's yeah, crazy. I don't know. I can't. I am not that. I just can't do it. He's also published like five books and he has a fairly successful YouTube channel. I'm like, where do you find the time? I don't understand. But he's young. He only had his first kid like earlier this year. Just so he'll, he'll learn. Go. <laughs> he's going to slow down to about the 90, 90, yeah, uh, 90 posts a month. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So so it's a really unique situation, I think. And that's one of the reasons I didn't get into YouTube, honestly, because I had this great writing setup. You know, it's like I have a lot of this. It's basically like being a content creator. And it's 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 been, you know, I'm, I mean, it's been very a very positive overall experience. Um, but you know, like last year when the, when the paywall went up, my traffic dropped by like three quarters and to have your income drop by three quarters all of a sudden or so, you know, that's really tough. Uh, cause and they you have a whole, and there was nothing really to offset it on, on your end. Wow. Nope. That's and tough. then there's the pandemic. Yeah. And so that's the downside. And the downside is you can have your income just change. Like the, the pay rates or whatever changed at the drop of a pin. So, um, so there's a lot of sort of discouraging elements to this particular kind of work, but as far as games journalism goes or journalism goes, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, but a lot of people in games journalism don't, I mean, there's a lot of salaried employees. I'm not a salaried employee. There's, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so if you're working at Kotaku or Polygon or, um, you know, you know, a lot of those places that there you're either, you're either going to be, you know, uh, you know, employee, or you're going to be pitching freelance stuff. And that's, you know, pitching freelance stuff is extremely discouraging and, and tiring oh, yeah, and horrible. It's, so. it's, it definitely wasn't for me. I, I mean, I, I did it and I got a few, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't, it's, it's not because I couldn't do it. It's just because I just like, man, I work full time. I have a career and a life like I'm not, I love it. But if I want to do this, it's not going to be freelancing and pitching people yeah it's there's just not there's not enough money in it to survive generally no. speaking and you know before i did before i was at forbes you know i got i had a few pieces published in the atlantic i had a piece published in the national review for a while i was blogging for mother jones and got some stuff there which is i know it's all over the map politically there um probably one of the only people who's been published in the national review and mother jones but um <laughs> but you know the process and then there's the pro then there's the whole aspect of like I am unpopular, like within my sector. You know, there's no way I'm getting anything published in Kotaku or Polygon or yeah. a lot of these places yeah, because yeah. I'm a persona non grata. I was on the the journalist blacklist and all this stuff, you know. And I don't. I mean, really, I'm waiting for someone to point out what I did to be blacklisted because I can't really find it. It's all just like it's because I don't agree with people. You yeah, have to you agree with people. The narrative, man. Like that's. And we that's it. Know. It's not even. It's not even. Like I'm saying anything crazy. It's. It's not even like I'm like, you know, uh, it's like a Milo Yiannopoulos or something, you know. But yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Water, I suppose. I. I just. I mean, there's there's worth in 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 being a an outlier to this from what I've seen. Uh, I think so. And again, like you know, I don't want to get into the petty name calling thing. I mean, I, I don't mind saying whatever, but I just. A lot of these people, I just, I wouldn't give them the time of the day. I, I just, social media, Twitter in particular, was social media was a mistake. And I just, oh, yeah. like yeah. these people, they wield their nerd power from their, their, you know, 
pinball machine thrones and just it's like <laughs> you're the most important people in the world and i'm like you write about video games man you're not mm -hmm. like I, yeah. I just don't get it like you know i guess you think you're worshipped for what you do i don't know i i mean it's cool you you're writing about a game but that's a job like i i don't know some of these well, people, I, yeah i mean eric of not just and it's not just them it's systemic throw mm -hmm. the lot of social media people who are in love with the the sound of their own voice or their the characters that they put in a tweet but i can't stand it personally well there's a lot of uh there's really a lot of fake people out there um and this this internet thing gives a lot of fraudulent sort of sociopathic people a voice i don't know if you saw those i can't even think of their names right now but there was those two people who were um like D, &D influencers i uh, so I, I don't, like, I'm not online a lot, but I did see the thing. But again, like, it's like if I were to run into those people in real life, okay? Because, I'm sorry, like, social media is not real life. It's not. No, it's not. At all. Not at all. Like, <laughs> if I were to see them in real life, I, I could smell the fake from, oh, yeah. like, 13,000 miles away. Like, it's oh, everything yeah. about them. And, and, and they're Especially it's the not, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Like, you just look at him. This and it's like, like is it because of my is it because of our i would say our life experience that and our age be. because i feel like maybe it's because of our it definitely has to do with our age that we yes. don't put the, the level of stock into online persona or people that right. are, you know represented there but I, I the modern generation definitely puts more of a a, a worth or even a self-worth Mm -hmm. uh, but well, I think maybe it's it's also like with those people, their story. You know, you see how these people that they used, mm -hmm. you know, like a tattoo artist or like these um, tired. I think they were like YouTubers yeah. and juniors. Yeah, people who kind of wanted to, who were kind of trying to make it. This is the really sad thing about it. They're trying. There's these people who are trying to make their mark. They're trying to become successful. They're not successful yet. And then there's these people that they look up to, and they think they're going to help them. But really, they're just going to walk all over them and use and abuse them, and that's how they—that's how they operate. And I think that's unfortunately how. I mean, and I'm sure that's how you know in, in the history of Hollywood and lots of other places. That's it's how people tales all the time. This is bad people, yeah. yeah. And that's why these young, I think young, and that's why like we're older. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't. I barely pay attention to a lot of these like influencers and and you know, internet celebrities and whatnot. Like I just, I don't have the time. I don't give a shit and I would I would rather actually just play the games or play D&D &D with my friends or you know like that's what D&D &D is for it's to play with your friends first of all not to like watch these weird sociopathic like plastic people on a on a YouTube channel or something um I mean obviously there's there's some great YouTube stuff that you know with D&D &D also I Vox Machina uh and and all that and yeah but, yeah, um, yeah but yeah I don't know it's just a weird the internet has created some weird cultural stuff that that oh, I feel sort of like an old fogey. Like I feel so behind all the time. I'm just like, oh, that's what's that thing that's happening? Oh, me too. Okay. I, I mean, I definitely <laughs> with you. And, and honestly, the fact that I know some of the things that I know actively pisses me off. I'm like, yeah, why too. do I know this? <laughs> like even my wife, my, my wife, would be like, how do you know this? I'm like, honestly, don't ask. Like, don't ask. I saw something stupid and I looked it up and then I got annoyed. And because I got annoyed, I kept looking. Yep. You know what I mean? Because we, always, we, we hate 
watch or, or hate research things all the time. And I'm just like, like, I don't know what it is, but yeah, like a lot of this shit <laughs> and a lot of the things that are popular these days, I'm just like, obviously that's a, a, a old man yells at cloud thing, I suppose. Yes, lots I just, of that going on. I never thought <laughs> I would get to this point, Eric, but I'm definitely there. Well, the thing is, is that what's popular has never been cool, right? So it is true. Just because it's the younger generation's popular thing, because I guarantee you, if you go talk to some people in the younger generation who are do, there's going to be some that are doing really cool things. They're just not looking at the. They're just not the popular things, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like you know, it's like cool, cool, mu you know, music acts. It's like Nirvana came around, and, and at first they were just an underground band, and that was cool, and it wasn't what was popular, and then it then it became popular. You know, it's just it's like every generation. Yeah, what's saying, yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, there's there's some indie game developers doing cool things who are young. There's some there's some cool, you know, there's I mean, some of these con you know YouTubers and whatnot are, are fantastic and really super creative and oh, 100%, um, like, you know, a, let's shout out what's one in the video game space a, a content creator that you you really like. Hmm. I mean, I don't have a lot of time, so the ones I actually look at are few and far between. But one, I'll say there's a I, I can I even say, like, I don't even really watch his stuff a lot. I don't even know if he's still doing it. But there was this guy called uh, Reykjavik, or Reykjavik. It was R-A-Y-C-E-V-I-K. And he would do these long-form videos, excellently edited, extremely well-researched. And I was like, you know what? This guy's doing better, better stuff than pretty much anyone in games media. I'm just like, and he did it for a long time. So like there, there are certainly some, is, yeah, is really what stands out for me. You know, what's my problem with the, with the YouTube scene a lot of the times is just the time it's the time, right? So there'll be these guys and I, I'm drawing, I'm drawing a blank on a couple of the ones that I'm thinking of that'll, that will do these long, super detailed, really incredible videos, but I don't have time. Some of them. Yeah. Like some <laughs> of them demand too much. I'll give you an example. Like there was a, the game Xenogears, um, yeah. the PS1 RPG one of my all-time favorites that is famously or infamously unfinished. But there, it was like a 12-hour deep dive. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, it's not a let's play. It's like a deep dive into the lore and the religious overtones, which is extremely cool. But I'm like, I can't do this. So I yeah. just bounced off. And I was like, I watched an hour-long video, which, again, is still extremely long. It's long, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and it's like I might be able to listen to it. But you know, because as you as you mentioned, I'm 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 writing probably more about TV and and movies these days than mm -hmm. video games. So like I, if I'm going to be watching something, I mean, there's just so much to keep up with. Um, but it's the same with video. Okay, so with video games, like if I'm going to be writing about video games, I have to play them. Yeah, and that is super time consuming. So it's hard. It's hard. I don't know where people find their time. This is what I don't understand. But like I can't sit around and watch a lot of YouTube content because I'm busy with so much other stuff uh, you know it's either like a game that i have to pour like anywhere between six and like 80 hours into sure. Sure. or it's you know it's it's watching all the damn shows that are out right now and trying to keep up with the movies and then you have to write about all of it so mm -hmm. um and make videos and and promote it on social media <laughs> and all the rest so yeah sort of a because like I was saying before we started, I've noticed a, a, a distinct pivot in what you write about these days. It's more in line with TV and um, like, I, again, like you said, I 
TV right now, I would say, well, it's, I wouldn't say like a, a, a golden age, but there's so much, so much good TV. There's so much good TV. Um, and there's a, there's even a lot of just okay TV that's still fun to watch. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say that my pivot to TV is, um, Walking Dead. is that correct in saying? So I've, well, I started writing about The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and I was, I think I was still writing about Breaking Bad all back then. And, um. So I wrote about those, and then I've written about other stuff kind of less consistently. Those are kind of my, my niche. Um, I think the reasons that I've pivoted more and more to TV and, and movies and stuff is, one, uh, the content is more regular. There's always a new show going on throughout the year, pretty much. You, and, and a lot of them release multiple episodes across, you know, they're not all like Netflix where they just drop them all at once. A lot of them release over weeks, and so it's like a something you can keep up with a little bit better um it's really hard like it's really hard games are, are sort of feast and famine like they release a bunch all at once it seems like and then there's nothing for like three months you know and so um That's live crazy. service games live service is kind of fun to keep up like you can keep up with the steady seasonal releases and things like that but um just the amount of time to like like input to output with video games is pretty tough um you know, you spend 80 hours on a video game so you can write a review about it and then you write a review and you get like 6,000 hits or something. Mm -hmm. That's 80 hours. I mean, you're just losing money in my, in where I'm, what, the way I'm making it, you know? And maybe it would be different if I was, if I'd gained a big YouTube following or something. Maybe like gaming would be more lucrative because there, there's that, that bent on, on YouTube. But for, for writing purposes, it's not... It's a lot more work to keep up with these games and um, and be able to, to write enough to make a living and all that. Um, whereas TV, you know, I can write a review of each episode. Uh, there's tons of shows that, and I and and honestly, a lot of my following ha, in you know has been around TV shows. So I just I guess I've gravitated towards towards that. Um, there, I I really I think I enjoy writing about them more. Also, like I I like writing about games. Um, but I don't know. There's something about stories that I love to talk about. You know, I love to see how the story comes together. I love to, see, you know, like I was, I was writing about Better Call Saul recently and just such cool, cool stuff they're doing with that show or that they did with that show. It's over now. And I love to actually like think about that and analyze that and talk about that. And, um, and the fact that with a lot of shows, you know, it's, it's every week some, there's a new episode that drops. It's like, it's like you can keep talking. That conversation keeps mm -hmm. going and that's mm -hmm. fun. I really no, enjoy I that. Um, predicting what's going to happen or just, you know, talking about where it went wrong. Um, but, uh, but I do, re I do regret not writing more about Elden Ring. I was, I was in a really bad funk when that came out and I played the crap out of it. And I just was like, I had nothing to say. It was really weird because I loved it and I had such, so much fun with it, but I, I just could not bring myself to write about it. And, and that was, that was strange, I guess, but um, well, it's never too late. I mean, here, I mean, in yeah. terms of a business sense, maybe it is, uh, but in terms of yeah. like, Still. I mean, well, Elden Ring's the the gift that keeps giving. It's the yeah. the critical and commercial darling of the year. I I had totally. a podcast yeah. with a good friend of mine. He's the he owns and he founded Two Ton Studios, um, and he's a big Souls fan. And we had a I painted it as a a dev versus critic conversation where I took the 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 critical slant and he took the dev slant i wanted to understand some of the things that he saw from a, a developer standpoint and mine was a, a critical standpoint and then 
some of the issues I took with, you know, the reviews and, and stuff like that. But the we'll reviews were all the- bullshit. <laughs> again? I said the reviews were almost all bullshit. There's no way that 90% of the reviewers had finished that game by the time they posted their reviews. So. Well, that I guess we could get on. I mean, my point, <laughs> again, getting back to this can wrap loop back around into games writing. I, I guess my point was as much as I love these games and dude, I fucking love them. I feel like they get a pass on so much shit critically yep. and we're sp- in strictly a review sense. And it's just like, like for instance, God of War Ragnarok got plastered for using, reusing one boat animation. Where's that energy for Elden Rings reusing animations across the board through all of their games? Like, I mean, from software, a lot of those jump I like jump what in. they do, personally. And I, I don't mind the animations are fine. <laughs> like, Eric, honestly, I don't mind it at all. I've been playing video yeah. games for so long that it doesn't really matter to me. But it just shows the hypocrisy mm-hmm. of, you know, what we're going to dock and what we're going to not. And it's like, from software gets this gracious pass all the time critically for things that other games simply do not. And the other thing was the boss thing. It's like... Will you learn something with every boss? Okay, man. Like, every game does that. If I guarantee you, if the boss in Bayonetta kicked my ass, or, or this this reviewer, the boss kicked their ass five times, they'd be like, fuck this game, and they throw the controller. But in, in, Easy in, mode. <laughs> in Bloodborne, suddenly it's this less angelic experience that has taught me all these things because <laughs> I dressed 35 times. You know what I mean? And again, I love all this stuff. But I just mm-hmm. like to see the, the hypocrisy in this stuff. Uh, yeah, but, I can see but that. In terms of, <laughs> I, and I love just taking that that angle and, and seeing this shit. I'm like, okay, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I can talk about it while still enjoying it, but sure. also having taken the piss out of some of the reviewer stuff. Uh, and also the, the pass Elder Ring gone and some of the, um, uh, uh, the, the tech flaws and, and shit sure. like that which eventually have been you know they're going to get ironed out which also goes into another um deficiency i find in games media especially with reviews is that the review process is antiquated entirely but it's driven it by is. traffic so i'm talking as someone who doesn't run a site but if i ran a site i probably wouldn't be giving the the conversation that i have because if your job is to serve the viewer mm-hmm. it, Writing a review that comes out on, you know, embargo date or, or which is generally before release, not always, but generally, on a game that generally hasn't had the, the day one patch. Mm-hmm. And we both know that games now evolve so much over the months, even sometimes a year or more. Uh, no Man's Sky, Witcher 3, oh, all yeah. these things. The yeah, review totally. that you read now, or the review Destiny. that I read for Witcher 3, <laughs> is not even a representation of the game. Oh, so yeah, why, it's, it's so tough. Yeah. Why can't we extend these conversations? And they're like, well, the, the viewer doesn't want that. Well, if I'm a large outlet, Eric, isn't it my job to dictate the content, not let the consumer dictate the content that I give them? Like, I can foster a higher elevation of conversation by just being who we are as an outlet, whatever the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. But it's like, why is it just the review and then that's it? Like there's so much more to it. Like there's just so much more to it. I, I yeah. I've always felt like this, and I felt this for a very long time, but it hasn't really changed. And I yeah. guess 
It's a the tough. Business. It's a tough question, right? Like to to, to find to find what works for, you know, for because you want to provide like so the the ultimate purpose. Okay, so the ultimate purpose of criticism, I would say, is to find out how things um, affect you as an individual. Like as a critic, it's a deeply personal experience. Criticism is really more about um, producing. Um, not producing it's about exploring art and figuring out what it means to you but reviewing is about telling a consumer whether they should buy a product or not so like if you're going to review like you're you're trying to hit embargo not just for traffic because reviews like aren't your bit i don't think most sites are driven by review traffic i think guides and and a lot of other things are going to get them more traffic uh and like previews a lot of times for me writing before a game comes out gets me more traffic than the review itself. But, um, it, but for a, for like for the consumer, you want to get that review out so that they can make an informed decision whether or not they should buy the game. But if you can't, I mean, but if you have an 80 hour game and you have five days to play it, like, no, you can't no. do it. You can't and play what I've it. I've never understood is like, like the larger outlets who, you know, take up the primary on Metacritic, which is a whole other bag of, of, of bullshit that uh-huh. is fed in into the business in ways I don't like. But it's like, if you have this power, like, why are you pushing your people to meet this arbitrary date that one, doesn't serve your employee, and two, definitely doesn't serve your audience? Mm-hmm. It's self-serving in this short burst. Yet you see the YouTuber um whether I like them or not, uh, like Joe, what's that guy? Um, he does reviews uh, of games. I, I can't think of his name. He, something Joe. Know. But anyway, his reviews. Oh, always, oh, oh, Angry Joe. Is it, yeah, I think it's Angry Joe. Angry I Joe. Mean, yeah, a yeah. Lot of Angry love Joe. Love his reviews, and they're yeah, long form, and he edits them extremely well on video. I don't love the personality. Yeah, but it's, I it's that. to each their own, right? <laughs> exactly, but that's not my point. My point is he releases his review when it's ready, and mm-hmm. he doesn't lose one fucking person from right. doing that. Well, and so that's a great model, it, for sure. Yeah. If he can do it, why can't an IGN, which was once seen as like this bastion of leadership mm-hmm. within games media, all they did was serve themselves. They didn't serve their audience, and they conditioned their audience to accept something that wasn't good yeah. for them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I mean, I think like that's the tr- that's the trick with like shifting expectations. Um, I sort of gave up writing timely reviews a long time ago. <laughs> I, I try to do it for TV. Well, for one thing, again, for TV, it's an hour. For a game, it's yeah. sixty hours or a hundred hours. So, uh, with the TV show, the the episode comes out, and that's the finished product. With with a video game, like you said, day one patch, season one update. La di da di da, like I oh that my I God, it's, it's just happening Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, and it's a total fucking shit show. Uh, or, or you know, even like yeah, Elden Ring. I got the re- I got a review code for the PC version like a week before it came out, and as soon as it came out, I bought a copy on Xbox because I didn't like the PC version. It didn't support widescreen. It was buggy. Much better on Xbox. Um, but then you go back to Elden Ring, like. Reviewers had like a week, maybe a little bit more to review that game. And there was nobody online to summon. There were no guides to follow. There was no, you know, so 
give me a break. None of those guys were, I, I know for sure a couple that finished it, but I, I would guarantee that 90% of the reviewers didn't get past the first or second boss. For sure. Because, and even the know, ones that did finish it, how can you digest that? Right. And let it just marinate for a moment. Right. It's and tough. I would say that there's very few. I think that somebody like Dan Tack at Game Informer, who, who um, is who just he such is, an, he's so yeah. solid and he's such an experienced Souls veteran that, and I know he finished the game before he reviewed it, but he is a, you know, one in a hundred basically, you know? And then there's someone like, I think the only other review that I really put any credence in was, was Paul Tassi's and he, because he played it over the course of a few months before he wrote his review. And, okay. you know, that's that gives you plenty of time. And, like, I'm going to write a review someday, maybe. And I will have played it for months and months and months. And, um, you know, I wrote my Last of Us Part Two review, what, three or four months after the game came out. Um, See, I love that. And it was a good, it was my favorite, maybe, maybe my favorite video game review I've done. It was pretty in-depth, and I had lots of time to sit on it. I actually wrote it over the course of several weeks. You know, like I would write and then I would think about it more and I would go back to the game and I would play it some more and I would think about it more. <laughs> it was a very long process putting together that review. And then I thought it was a really good review. And I think that's a much, I personally, and that's why I say, because when you write criticism, you're supposed to be writing for yourself. When you write reviews, just reviews, you're just writing for, for people to decide whether they want to buy it. Hopefully criticism also lets people know whether they should buy it. But, you know, that's another thing. I write a TV review or a movie review, um, generally, not with the intention of telling somebody whether they should see it or, or, or not, but with the idea that they've already seen it. And now we're mm -hmm. going to talk about it, think mm -hmm. about it. And mm -hmm. that's more that's more interesting to me than writing something like, this is good because the graphics are good and, like, the gameplay is pretty yeah. fun and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's like... But aren't um, those, if we're talking strictly games reviews, aren't those those just the worst reviews? They're so bad. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, honestly, if they're really, okay, so someone like Skill Up or or before him, like um, Total Biscuit, who would come in and like really have a really like authoritative and informative review that goes over a lot of those things. I enjoy like a good video from those guys. Um, uh, you know, I'm an RIP Total Biscuit, but, um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, like just these boilerplate reviews that you read at a, you know, wherever. I ah uh, yeah. No, I want to hear I want to hear I want to I want to know the emotions and Absolutely. I want like, to I want to I want to know how it makes you feel, man. Like like I always and what I saw in Elden Ring reviews, there's a caveat that sometimes I find writers put in reviews that it's a line that I don't think should ever be in any piece of writing because if you've oh, yeah. done your job, you've already told me this. It's yeah. like, well, this game may not be for everyone, but okay, first of all, why is that line there? If you've done your <laughs> job in this piece of writing, you've already told me if this game's for me or not. Right. <laughs> like, I don't this need is to very know true. <laughs> a Gran Turismo, you know, and maybe it's isn't for anyone. It's a fucking driving game, of course. Right. If I don't like cars, what am I here for? <laughs> You know, but right. I don't need to, to deliver your 9.8 or 10 from on high for Elden Ring, but then give me the caveat, well, it may not be for you. Like, what? <laughs> like, that's a, a bullshit cop-out line that if I was an editor, I would be like, like, that shouldn't be here. Should I think maybe the only time that something sort of similar to that should show up is, um, like, if there's a game that's really, that's really like, especially, like, maybe with sexual violence or... Okay, fair um, enough. Something like that where you say this game may be, you know, I hit the word trigger triggering, but triggering 
for some people, like, you should be aware that this game is, it could be disturbing, and you're, you should probably avoid it if that's going to disturb you. You should probably yeah, not try to have it banned or something. You should just avoid it. You know, it's like just a, yeah. In mm-hmm. writing, you know, say this review is written as if you're fine with that. Not fine, but yeah. accept. Well, and, and also, it. like, what is this idea that it might not be for everybody in the first place? Like, like I always, you know, people like with Dark Souls are these t- difficult games. I never say, oh, don't, you know, this is... This is, may not be for you if you're not very good. I, I say, you know, get good. I think I always think yeah. of get good as like a positive, encouraging sort of thing. I, too, I think like people, people do, some people use it wrong. They're, they're, they're assholes, you know, and they use it wrong. But I think that 90% of Souls people, you know, players are like, get good. Like, this is how you have fun with this game. You get good. That's what's fun about it. You know, when you finally are like, oh, I get this. That's fun. That's cool. Like that's that's the whole point of the Isn't damn games. Isn't that what video games are for the most part? Like, totally. I just and it get good. It's a Souls thing now. Yeah, but, but it's really an entire video game thing. Like Jesus Christ Returnal, for example. Oh, that's I a don't cool game. Like, I don't like roguelikes. Okay, I don't, don't really like either. And from an that's from, a good game. And I love Housemark as a developer, but I saw this game. I saw the aesthetic. As soon as I saw roguelike, I went, nope. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I eventually gave it a shot. And I initially thought that game was relatively difficult. And I didn't like mm-hmm. that you had to start over. And I, I didn't like that anything didn't carry over. And you want to talk about evolving criticism. My <laughs> point on that game, when I first started playing it versus where I finished on it, which I now think it's a borderline masterpiece, is night and day. I went from difficult hate roguelites, hate that the things don't compare, I don't like the direction, this would have been better as a linear developer uh, vision-oriented game, to this game is a cakewalk now, and it's more about just mastering the fuck out of it and breaking it, and I actually think it's, like, the gameplay in it is just impeccably done, and and then it, it became a thing of it took everything that Housemark had learned in their arcade-style games that were, weren't working for them commercially, and they put it in this AAA envelope that mm-hmm. uh, I think is the perfect pivot for them. So there you go. Not only is it evolving criticism, but it's also the get-good thing that yeah. made me love a game that I initially didn't think I would like at all. Yeah, and I think like there's something to be said for like getting over the hump of difficulty versus like this game sucks so bad I can't keep playing it. You know, uh, the, yeah, getting get like something like Returnal or Hades, uh, they challenged my ideas on roguelikes because I'm also not that huge on roguelikes, generally yeah. speaking. Like, I like to move through a game, progress, unlock stuff, keep going, you know. But if it's done right, it, it really is really fun. You just have to, you, you sometimes just have to get past that mm-hmm. first chapter, you know. It's like reading Lord of the Rings when I was younger. Like you have to get past that boring stuff, the beginning, and then it's really good. <laughs> but yeah, like get good. Um, if you know, the first time I played Dark Souls, I was like, "What the fuck is this? It's clunky. It's hard. I don't feel like I can like make it controls work right." But I but I kept trying and I kept trying, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, this is cool. Like this is awesome. Like I'm still bad at this, but I like it." And then you know, then mm-hmm. you get. And you get good. Or even when I played Bloodborne for the first time, because I was playing, you know, before it was released and I had no clue. It was so different than Dark Souls. Just the pairing with the guns and stuff, it really threw me off. I think I was worse at Bloodborne because I was good at Dark Souls. At a lot that of point, people, you know, 
Yeah. What, um, you, what you're a big Souls guy. What is your I favorite? A, yeah. Souls offer. Uh, oh my gosh, that's a tough one. Um, or from game, I should say. Uh. Hmm. There's things I like. So I'm trying. I'm thinking. I keep thinking about writing an article like what I love about each FromSoft game mm-hmm. because it's hard to rank them and it's hard to because I go back to different ones and there's things I love about each one. Like I love the first Dark Souls partly because of nostalgia because it was my first game. I played it before Demon Souls. I played Demon Souls second, um, even though it came out first. But yeah, I yeah. love you know I love Dark Souls because I still think it has the coolest. Um, world building, like level design of any of the games. The ambition is infinitely yeah. impressive. It it, Even it, it sort of flakes out at the end, but yeah. yeah. But that that first area of the undead berg and just how it's all wrapped around and all uh, connected and like I still remember the first time I knocked that ladder down and, and the first shortcut that you encounter, and I was like, holy crap! Now I don't have to go do all that stuff again. Yeah. You know, I got through it, and I there's the shortcut. Or the first time that I, you know, you're down in the um, Darkroot Basin, and you look up and you see the bridge way up above where the Red Wyvern is, and you're like, "Wait a minute, I was up there like four hours ago," <laughs> you know. And it's so cool. Like I love that about that game. It's it's and so it's hard for me to have any game where I have just such that. Like when I think about the way I felt playing that game, I don't think any of the other ones come close. But then, you know, even something like Elden Ring, where you're just riding across this open world game and you realize that they've done the same amazing kind of design with an open world that they mm-hmm. did with a linear world before, like that nobody else has done in open world games. Like you can see a point, but you can't get to it because you have to go through all this other stuff before you can get over there. It's mm-hmm. brilliant, brilliant open world design. Um, Demon Souls, uh, I still think has some of the best levels of any any FromSoft game. Like um, I agree. You know, just like Boletaria Palace. And I, I've, I have played it, yeah. And and it's 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 a beautiful game. It feels almost too pretty, though. Like, I kind of <laughs> like the original better. <laughs> Even Souls is supposed to be ugly. It's not supposed yeah. to feel good, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, Demon Souls look... I think it looks great. The PS3 version still looks great. Um, but uh, but it has sort of a murkiness to it that, that you lose a little bit of with the, like popping colors and like brightness of the the remake but yeah um just going through um what is it uh, um what's the prison level in that game i know it's the fifth uh, quote fifth where you're just it's cthulhu you know and it's just so creepy and um it's the tower of joy is that what it's called and the i can't remember now yeah it's been a while i need to hop back in there so I love that. Um, Dark Souls 3 kind of took a lot of what worked with Dark Souls and Bloodborne and sort of mashed it together. Well, it plays Dark- incredibly well. Yeah, it's super great. Um, then there's Sekiro, which is the... Well, I think it's the only one I never finished because I got to the Headless Ape and I just got sick of it. I, fucking- I liked that game, but it's I just got hard, sick dude. of it. It's yeah, hard. I mean, it's a beautifully made game. I think it's just so impeccably designed and it's like a ball- a sword ballet playing that game like you're grappling and you're breaking their you know breaking their stance and you're you're just it's this one it's often a 1v1 you know in bosses um but i just i just i guess i just i ran out of energy on it so now we're I gonna go back, it, but <laughs> it is hearkening back to what we just said the good thing i will say that game 
it kicked my ass. And it is the first game in a really a long time that oh, I've yeah. been like, I'm missing something here. It's not the game. It's <laughs> definitely me. It's, yeah, I agree. Just, I don't know what it is, and I want to be so good at this game. I'm just it's not. So hard. I love everything about it. But yet, once you... I know there's a point, and I've, I've read so much about this game. I know there's a point in that game that hits these people, and they're like, I was like you. It Everything about it, I was at your point, but then it just clicked. And you, you see these patterns and shit, but I, I don't know. I'm not seeing them. Because I dove yeah. back in yeah. probably three, <laughs> four months again. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to play this. And I was yeah. doing okay. But again, I got to roughly around the I, I wasn't quite at the head of the safe but I just I was like this game is just I got you ever feel I'm sure you felt that uh, you you go to load oh, yeah. it up and like I don't know if I'm up for this right now and that's <laughs> where I got and then eventually I just started playing something else uh-huh yeah well I think it, it was um in 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 Sekiro it was like I beat Gen, I think it's Genshiro 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 Genichiro and it was so hard and I, I spent so much time and I felt so good when I finally beat that motherfucker mm-hmm. and then I got to the headless ape and I was like nope can't do it I'm done I just don't I don't even I don't even want to anymore and that's weird I guess it's partly because like at least in Souls games if you really hit that wall you can summon mm-hmm. but honestly I don't think I ever like I beat the first Souls game without ever summoning I mean I summoned NPCs but I never summoned another player um I, it's just generally you have so many more tools at your disposal to beat bosses and yeah. whatnot. Like I beat Bloodborne without summoning also. Um, I, I just didn't want to do I've summoned a lot more in games like Dark Souls 3 and Elden. Well, Elden Ring, I played a ton with my brother and his friend and that we just treated that kind of like a co-op game in general. And it kind of works that way. Um, but I, I also beat a lot of the bosses by myself and it wasn't that big of a deal. Like once you... Because you can just level up and get to that point. But Sekiro yeah. is not an RPG. I actually wrote an article before they made Sekiro saying that I would love to see From Software make an action game and to, and just get rid of all the RPG stuff. No more weapon leveling. No more leveling up stats. Then they made Sekiro. Like, like, like I and asked for that shit. directly <laughs> linked to you getting good. Like, uh-huh. you cannot progress in this game or get stronger or, yeah. quote, unquote, level up. You can make it harder. <laughs> me yeah yeah and i love it and i do i do want to go back and just and and start over i I have gone back and played it a little bit well when i was playing elden ring i went back and i played portions of each of the other games to just sort of Mm -hmm. feel that because elden ring represents an evolution in in graphics in user accessibility it's it's a main the most mainstream of their games because things like jumping stealth um and improved uh, menu systems, all there's so many little things that, like a map, they have a freaking map, and they, yeah. right? so they've made it more accessible than ever. It's still very challenging. Elden Ring's a hard game, um, but there's just so much more at your fingertips in that game than any of their other ones. Um, so going yeah, back I'm and like playing really, uh, earlier games was interesting. I'm anxious. Like I haven't played Elden Ring yet. I jumped into the intro, but I'm, I'm the, I can't play any game on day one. I just, yeah, <laughs> and I know it's not day one now. But I wait for it to... Yeah. I wrote this piece that... And this was a long time ago, which is... it's. I mean, it's an easy thing to write. I think I wrote this in like 2014 or something. It, it was like... It touched on reviews, but it's just like how it's not worth playing games day one. Because they are objectively better six months yeah. 
removed from release. Two patches, yeah. You lose nothing except the quote unquote being a part of the conversation, and Mm -hmm. who cares about that? Like the the Bloodborne that I played was objectively better than the people that played it at day one. The load times were better, ran better, and that's just a small example. Witcher Three had gameplay enhancements, yes, um, graphical enhancements. I mean, whole movement enhancements, quests. UI ironing out and I I played that game a year after release and it was so much better it was such a better sure. experience compared so what, what did I lose by waiting right. literally nothing the only um, games where I would say that that doesn't I mean and the, it, it, that still applies to these games but if you're playing multiplayer games like Call of Duty with your friends you're going to people you want to play them when they come out um, that's solely because you're play it's a social experience but yeah yes. what is the point of playing Witcher three when it on the on day one because it it is a you know it, it's it's it, that was a pretty buggy game and it definitely got better over time and then the DLC that came out for it was some of the best content in the whole game for sure um, and my my like my range of tastes in video games are so vast that I'm never wanting for for games to play across the spectrum for sure. and I just <laughs> like if I felt like I needed if I didn't have anything to play kids without kids I'm living my normal life. Because I, I was like this before kids. But I just, time infinite, I just still wouldn't play it. I, I just have mm-hmm. so many games. My backlog is, if I even thought about it, soul crushing. But oh, I don't no, care. It's, it's I just absurd. love video games. <laughs> I love buying video games. I love being a mm-hmm. part of it. And who knows? There's probably a, a ton of games that I'll never, ever play. But I just so like many. that I have them. But, so many games. There's so many games I own that I will probably never play. Oh God, Eric, so I, my Steam catalog. I'm, oh, I'm a collector. Okay? Yeah. So limited run. This is my recent. I don't know if Sega Genesis had a shooter called Garius. Okay. Okay. It's a like cool. a side scrolling shooter. Well, limited run had one, and there's a collector's edition. Well, I just got nice. this. Now. And there's That's a awesome. poster in there from. I think it was. I think it was 94 when it was released, but there was an ad with a young guy going like this, and it was in all the print magazines. Well, for this, they actually got the guy all these years later to do literally the same pose, and they included the poster. Like, I like things like that. That's what I collect. Yeah. And you have a Millennia statue up there. I have that same one. I have the Elder I do all the collector's edition stuff. My entire room is painted with it. Let's get in uh, back on topic here. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. I mean, I love this where we're going with this, but I guess oh, yeah. we got to sort of frame it in something. But we've sort of been dancing around the topic, which is another thing you played a part in, which was the the GamerGate fiasco, um, and that's another thing where I felt like I was a part of it along with you and some other people, as much as I didn't want to be. I suppose no, it was horrible. <laughs> it was. And this is really where the 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 Gandalf. I come to you now at the turning of the tide, right? Yeah. The Gandalf gray to the white, although I think it was the white to the black, where games media really showed their undergarments uh, for what they really were in a lot yeah. of these, and the divides and the lines were painted, and the disdain showed up, and I, I really think. I mean, I don't know. I've learned enough about it. I don't know all about it. But I definitely don't think, you know, painting at Gamergate was this harassment campaign that is responsible for everything from Donald Trump to being elected to the January sex in, in insurrection is right. 
pretty absurd from where I stand. I mean, there's. I think there are strands of, 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 you know, events that are connected, obviously, with these different things. I mean, like, like, uh, Milo coming up during Gamergate and trying to red pill everybody. And then he worked for Breitbart. He offered me a job at Breitbart, I remember, um, which I turned down. Uh, he used his influence then to, and segged right into Trump, you know, and Breitbart, of course, was more interested in, in Trump than in Gamergate. Um, so there's connections. Um, and I think also that this was the first really... I mean, it Gamergate didn't start out as a right-wing thing, but it was quickly sort of co-opted as a right-wing thing, I think. And um, and it was sort of well, a... It definitely an, tried to be painted as such. I well, mean, It was certainly painted as that right... Well, this is a harassment campaign and things. Because there were trolls. There were trolls. You know, a lot of... Honest, a lot of like, were, who knows what... There were some... There's bad faith actors in a lot of this absolutely. stuff. Um, in... I don't mean to be this an all sides thing, but it is true. And a lot of movements across the spectrum, I would say almost pretty much all, there's always these fringe elements mm -hmm. and it's easy to paint an entire thing, whether it's something much less uh, harm, or I should say as more harmless in the mass effect three, it was easy to paint that movement as some, well, you know, extremist yeah. thing, unrealistic expectations, uh, vice versa with Gamergate, the fringe extreme elements they are doing awful things to people that oh, yeah. we obviously don't condone. But I feel like we shouldn't have to like have that caveat all the time. Obviously, it's, al it's always right. It's same with same right? with like there's going to be peaceful oh. like protesting, right? There's going to be the peaceful protesters out, and then some people start looting, and then you could just say, "Well, they're all looters." Well, they're not all looters. Exactly. A lot of them and are peaceful protesters all the time. Yeah. yeah, Gamergate was same thing. Most people involved with Gamergate were not harassing people. They, they might be engaging in pointless arguments on Twitter with people, <laughs> but, yeah. but not harassing. There Were there some harassers? Absolutely, of course. And there were that, and it, it did go both ways. I mean, the both sides thing. Oh, God, yeah. It gets shit on, but there were shitty people on both sides. 100%. That were shitty to and each other, and, it, and, and there was a lot of noise, you know. Um, and I, I, at the time, I remember just thinking that, like, all of these articles being written are really not helping the situation. You know, um, and it's it was sort of like the first time you saw like it was much, 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 much more, more than the Mass Effect, right? It was it's like everyone was losing their collective fucking minds. Yeah, and um, and then you have like you have people like Milo get in in on it, and they're they're actively riling people up. You've got like uh, Leia Alexander writing the Gamers Are Dead article, even though you know if you rewind time a few years, you can read her write a very eloquent defense defense of Grand Theft Auto. And it's so weird to see a lot of these people like kind of totally change their entire philosophical uh, makeup to like join this new like weird identity politics movement that they sort of grew started growing up then and then in 2016 when everyone lost their collective minds even more. Um, it's like over the last eight years or so, everyone's lost their fucking minds. Yeah. Uh, but starting and again, I, I, something, me being so arm's length from a social media thing. Mm -hmm. I just don't mind. I, I watch it from afar and I'm just like, wow. But I definitely see it, Eric. Like, I, it's it's impossible to see because it's not just a social media thing. It's painted everyday life. It definitely has. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm Canadian and it's it's here too. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think Gamergate was... 
it was a lot less significant than people made it for one thing. I mean, it was, it grew up around that whole Zoe Quinn thing, which was, you know, an, un, you know, just, that's like air and dirty laundry, right? Like there's yeah. this dirty laundry and then everyone wanted to talk about it because it, it had implications for, you know, ethical issues in game journalism. Like are people having, are, are people trading coverage for sex? That was the big question. Um, but because it was all shut down on Reddit and everywhere, pretty much everywhere shut it down except for what, yeah. 4chan. And even they shut it down. Then it was 8chan and all this shit. Um, so so that's why it got cra- That's why it went crazy. Because when you try yeah, to shut down people, the more stuff. You shut down, people are like, okay, then more well, and more. Now it's real. Now on. we need to talk about it. it yeah. So that's, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. there's something fun going on here. Let's figure it out. And, yeah, and the then truth if, is, Zoe Quinn, not a good person. No, clearly not. Um, and... And yet, of course, everyone, you know, everyone was made out to be such horrible harassers of her and of yeah, like know, Brianna Wu and all this. Remote questions, yeah, yeah. which are definitely vi- viable. Um, and it's just, and, and you look at someone like Layla Alexander, it's it's a shame because she's actually a good writer. One she's of a good few, writer. Yeah, she's um, actually a great writer, I think. Who, the avenue that she ended up going down, well, and, and that whole the gamers, it, it the coordination from this sect who almost in their little cabal and then it's undeniable because that's exactly what it was they had their little message forums which is not that big of a deal i mean jesus christ i think every industry has these oh, yeah totally or things like who cares uh, i mean but when people are asking questions relevant to it you deny they exist then people find out they exist and then this whole coordination comes along and it's almost like this they came with a sneer that said Fuck you guys. We can do whatever mm-hmm. we want, and you just have to take it. And then that definitely inflamed it far more. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and that's and and weirdly, like I think a lot of the stuff that I wrote back then was trying to calm people down. Um, I, I agreed with you, like whole stock. I remember reading some of the stuff. Now I can't quote it verbatim. It's been a long time, and I, I couldn't. <laughs> not one of these people that that like whenever all these outlets, it seems when they need clicks, it is the such and such anniversary i know right that, uh, that's harassing oh, and they rehash it like i don't mm. relive it but i like think back to it and i'm like you were one of the few that i read it it just made a lot of sense what you were saying well yeah i mean I, I, it's there was no like solving all of this you know i mean mm. most of the stuff that was being said was like what is the point what are we actually trying to achieve here like um and you know there's like there was one of the things that a lot of the gamer gamers or gamer gators were saying were also unrealistic, uh, like wanting totally objective reviews. That there's exist. no such thing, like no you know, you know, and and like the idea that sort of you know you're gravitating is something. It's such a low hanging fruit for some people right. that don't even understand the terminology that they're using. You exactly. Know what I mean? Right, and 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 then just. And I honestly think there wasn't even a, a ton of coordination going on with like the gamers or dead articles. I think people were just unoriginal. I think just a lot of people are super unoriginal. They just post what other people are posting. Oh, okay. Alexander wrote a gamers or dead post. Now eight other outlets are writing them because they want to, you know, they're going to signal boost it. They don't have anything interesting to say because they're all fucking hive mind, boring, <laughs> sad fucking people uh, that haven't had an original thought in you know, their whole life anyways. I mean, that's the, that's media for you. How much echo chamber do you see in the media in general? And we saw it again with like the Trump years and we see it right now. 
I mean, yeah. it's just echo chambers. So much echo chamber. It's it's like there's you don't even need to coordinate when everyone just agrees with each other. And then you yeah. have people who who disagree, and they are literally bad, evil people because they disagree. You know, like you are you're you're actually wrong thinking if you disagree with these sort of sacred cows. So I don't think there was even all that. I mean, I know there was some coordination because, but I think that coordination was mainly like. Um, talk they I, I don't know i wasn't part of it but i'm sure there was like they were talking about individual people like i'm I guarantee you they were talking about milo they were talking about uh you know the different people who were bad actors at the time and their in their point of view but when it comes to like their op-eds i think it was just like this this you know <laughs> these are getting clicks these are pissing people off they're you know this is driving traffic yada 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 um it was just a weird time honestly that Gamergate kind of over. I found it very overwhelming after a little while, um, where it was just it just seemed to suck all the oxygen out of the room, and it sort of it defined these sides of like at least with Mass Effect it was like it was there was nothing political about it really. Like pe- they talked about there being harassment and whatnot, but people who were upset about Mass Effect it, it never became really political so much as it was like still a game cons- focused argument, game focused, consumer focused. You know, it didn't matter if you were Republican or Democrat. It didn't really matter if you were conservative or liberal. Like, you were pissed off because you didn't like the ending of Mass Effect. And there wasn't a lot of, like, gamers are dead. Like, there was some gamers are entitled stuff. But it never kind of devolved into this very political, heightened... Attack and disdain for your audience. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, when I was writing about, I think, probably my, my error of judgment at the time, early, early on in Gamergate, was my article that was like Gamergate is not a harassment campaign; it's a consumer movement, um, because that that is what people have thrown in my face ever since. <laughs> and I, you know, I think it was a consumer movement, but I think it was also partly a, a harassment campaign because there was definitely some people involved on some YouTubers. Some of these guys involved in Gamergate were harassing people, absolutely, and. Uh, but a lot of people, most of the ground level people that were just upset by this whole thing, were actually just wanting some more accountability in games journalism. Were wanting to talk about this thing that happened with Zoe Quinn. Were were I mean I, I know a lot of people were international. It was not just an American thing. I know a lot of these people considered themselves to be liberals or leftists. It was certainly not. It didn't start as a political thing, but it was politicized heavily by people all on both sides, right? Because it was it was useful. It was useful to politicize yeah. it. It was useful for political it, it activists. Different things that were sort of had been marinating in the background, I suppose. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I haven't given a ton of thought on this. You know, surprise, surprise, not everyone thinks about yeah. this all the time. <laughs> now that we're in the midst of this conversation, I think, like, it's like, I didn't, I guess... I, I dismiss Gamergate as a stupid thing, but it really was the beginning <laughs> of the death of nuance in a lot of different yeah. ways. I mean, which then then Trump came along. Yeah, and, and the like nuance that was, even more. That was the, the blunt force. Yeah. But really, it was the death of whether it was your article, which had this headline that people grab, you know, but they weren't willing to read the words that were within, and right, like, and it even started like we just want to figure some stuff out here, and then we weren't allowed to. And then it becomes no nuance. And the longer anything exists in this elm, you're just left with it. Just gets worse and worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. at both sides. It stretches apart, and then all you're left is with these two extremes that get shittier and shittier. And that's what you gravitate to. So, 
It honestly, like I had, I'd been writing, I think, you know, for those last, those first maybe two and a half years with, I'd been covering a lot of sort of these little small minor controversies like DMC and, and, um, uh, writing like sort of consumer pro consumer articles. And then after Gamergate, I just, just didn't have a lot of, uh, energy left. I sort of killed it for me. Like, this sucks, I, I think like, I lost a lot of joy, the joy of writing about video games during Gamergate and the like fallout Eric, of that. I, I'll argue with the toaster. I relish a good <laughs> argue, argument. Yeah. I really do. But sure. I, it can be fun. At some point, it's like, but we're we're doing it for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not just arguing for the sake of arguing. I'm just saying, like, like I will just have these conversations that build on on opposing points of view. But it's like. It's not fun. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's shitty because shitty. I guess you come to the realization in a conversation like that is that it's never going to go anywhere. Yep. You're never going to. It's not about winning. I, I don't think of things like that as wins. I no. just think, of, can we have a meeting of the minds? And with that and what eventually we are now in 2022, there's no conversation to be had for the most part. There just isn't. Well, I think like, you know, right at the beginning of that, that, I had a I, I, I hosted a YouTube uh, stream with Total Biscuit and a couple other people, and we had a pretty good conversation. I actually got a lot of YouTube subscribers from that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but after that, I feel like there were all, there were very few useful conversations that were had, and the debate was just all noise and all rancor, and um, and then you know you know, and then it just stayed bad. Like yeah. you know, when when Total Biscuit passed away, people were dancing on his grave. You know, and which like just the, which is absolutely insane. And uh, it's just, it, I swear to God, it's just gotten like, like a lot of the fun aspects of sort of talking about or arguing about or debating have just become nasty. It just feels icky now. Like, like the Troy Leavitt stuff um, where people were accusing this guy who was a not, not a public figure of any kind of like running some sort of grift, like by having opinions or, i don't know that shit was just crazy or like um what's his face from from uh five nights at freddy's getting run out of his own game because he's a republican it's like i'm not a republican and and i wouldn't donate money to donald trump or whatever but like you can make your own game i don't care what it's not like he was a freaking like nazi or you know like we don't we don't have a distinction anymore between like no there's no nuance here like just... there's no nuance the death of nuance kills like joy of of all that kind of conversation and debate right because you're supposed to have some nuance and you're supposed to be able to talk about the but but now like you if you have and this is why i mean i think i think a lot of the conversation around cancel culture is kind of dumb and shallow and some people exaggerate what cancel culture is and some people act like it doesn't exist at all but cancel culture has a lot to do with the death of nuance right it's like mm -hmm. People don't want to, don't want you to even be able to have a platform or a voice or be able to talk at all if you don't say the right things or believe the right things. That's cancel culture, even if it doesn't always work, even if those people still have a platform. Like Colin, like we'll talk about Colin again. People wanted to cancel him. Well, he built his own platform and is extremely successful now. That's right. He wasn't successfully canceled, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. Wasn't for, they definitely right. tried. And I love how they, like, whether it's J.K. Rowling or it's yeah. whoever, fuck. It's just uh, unfortunately, like Colin is extremely talented, and he yep. has and hardworking a, and a unique voice, and he's extremely hardworking, and mm -hmm. that works in the space. Like, listen, 
talent matters. Like, mm -hmm. but again, like you said, like the cancel culture, whatever the hell you want to coin it as, it wasn't for the lack of trying. They definitely tried. It was absurd. Like it yeah, really totally. was absurd. Like I just, I mean, I again, I'm a guys guy. Shit like that is said all the time. All like, the time. what are we doing? Like, it's so, you can't so, have so a dumb. <laughs> dude. Like, it's it's insane. Like, it really and like J.K. Rowling, you were trying to oh. We couldn't cancel her. Of course, she's a fucking billionaire. Of course, right. you can't. You can't. Her. But yeah, like again, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's mm -hmm. a lot of bullshit. But and then the people that are saying it doesn't exist are completely lying too, because there's librarians getting fired for the most mm -hmm. random things of pull. You know what I mean? Like it's it definitely exists. It just depends again, on who. You some people should be canceled. They should go to prison because they're rapists and shit. Like cancel sure. them. Exactly. Do that. Like, That's justice. But but having the wrong back, opinion isn't. <laughs> I look on I look on our betters. You referenced Lord of the Rings earlier, and I, you know, I'll use J.R. Tolkien and him and C.S. Lewis and all the the, the the thousands of people used to get together in pubs and have conversations and solve the issues of the world, whether they did or they didn't, in a glass of bourbon or a a, a pint or whatever the fuck. That doesn't exist anymore. Like these these melting pots of ideas that created some of the greatest literary things and, and poetry and and people, those don't exist anymore. We can't even have those conversations anymore. And you you know, I wonder how it's gonna go down because um, you know, like we've been through politically correct phases before. Um, you know, I I uh, I, I wouldn't yeah, say the eighties politically charged. Um but but like like you know, um, I think the 90s was a time when a lot of political correctness was was reversed. And, you know, people were a little, you know, I had I listened to uh, the, the Joe Rogan podcast with um, Quentin Tarantino. And they talked about this a lot about kind of how um, the 80s were pretty PC. And then in the 90s, there were, you know, with like, you know, with movies like um, Pulp Fiction and whatnot, there yeah. was kind of this 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 backlash to political correctness and and we're, we're experiencing a time of political correctness now amplified just, just pause, by social I media watched, uh, I, I don't mean to interrupt you but i oh, watched no, the, the woodstock 99 uh, three episode documentary on netflix oh. that just came out and it deals that with that specifically it was excellent actually that sounds interesting and yeah it deals that. with the 90s and all that stuff you're talking about it's it's a great watch yeah that's and cool i'm not we're 90s that. kids right yeah so, totally yeah, and like also, what's happened is we, not only is there a, a, a large uh, movement towards political correctness, which we often you know refer to as like wokeness or whatever. Um, there's also just the amplification of politics into every aspect of our lives vis-a-vis yeah. -vis the internet. Like, you know, I'll talk to uh, to my kids, and like they they know like the kids in their class who are like Trump supporters. Well, when I was in school, we didn't know who was a you know, a Clinton supporter or a Bush supporter or whatever. Like we didn't even talk about that shit. And you I, know, I people know like, my teachers, like I didn't know my teacher's first name. None of them. Why would I know that? Why do right. I know their political leanings? Right. Like, I don't... If we talked about politics, it was like the civil war and shit, right? Like we were talking about that in social study, but now everybody knows and everybody's so like, it's like, it's over, it's overkill. It's exhausting. Absolutely. And people and say you should be civically engaged, but you can't stay civically engaged if you're so burnt out on civic engagement. You tell engagement. this generation <laughs> or about this that 
believe it or not, there was a time where this really wasn't, and it actually wasn't that long ago where this didn't oh. dominate everything. You're like, no, politics has always been a part of everything. Like, no, it hasn't. Not like this. I mean, I guess you could say everything. I, I like. I've always pushed back against the conversation that everything's political. Right. Like me, like everything. I'm like, okay, literally everything. Me taking my dog for a walk at nine o'clock at night because I couldn't do it in the morning. Is that a political movement? I, like, I'm like, there. That's not a true statement. You could really bend over backwards and describe all the sort of socioeconomic. Like <laughs> yeah, like uh, the reason that you're able to do that, or yeah. you know, there's going to be. Poli- you can find politics and everything, but that would yeah. be crazy. That would be the actions of an OCD yes. uh, kind of yes. obsessive, right? Yeah, um, and I think we need to have less of it. I think that, and I think that this is why, like in 2014, and again in 2016, and like throughout the Trump years, like I used to really enjoy thinking and talking about politics, but every time I try, like every time I do now, there's this part of me that's the sort of this this inertia uh, or this like. Maybe it's a Pavlov's dog thing. I don't know where I just can't do it. Like I, I'll write a whole article about yes, something, you do. and then like, I'll look 100%, at the... Like I have family yeah. members, and I love, like I love politics. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, unfortunately, it's just... I will say the more you get entrenched in politics, the less few, the less futile it all seems, and then yeah. it just you get more and more burnt out in it. It's just like I've had family members who who tell me, you know, you should run for some sort of thing. I'm just like, you know what? I think I know enough about it to know that I don't want to do that. Yeah. It takes and, a certain kind of person to. Yeah, so. and, and, and like, like you, the conversations that I, I, I can see conversations starting places and where they go. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't think <laughs> I want to do it. Uh-huh. I'm just going to take this. I'm going to sit back and say, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, probably. No doubt, eh? And just, Have just do fun that. with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'll, I'll, I'll get so almost paralyzed by it. It's just yeah. like, uh, you know, that there'll be some subject and I want to write about it and I get halfway through the, what I'm writing about. And then I'm like, I just don't know, honestly. Like, I don't know. Like, this is going to, I know what's, I know what people are going to say. I know the kind of argument and backlash. I don't even know if what I'm writing is actually a good idea anymore. Like mm. there are so many like sides to everything. There's so many unintended consequences. There's so many, um, it's just, you know, and it's, it's also like, it's like this, I've, I've stopped trusting a lot of things, right? Yeah. Like, like the whole fake news thing is a real issue. Like I look at headlines all the time and I constantly just like lie, lie, bullshit you know you're bending the truth every everything is an agenda and i don't want to i don't want to be part of it (laughs) at all you know um it's all it just it's it is just a i don't know i guess in 2022 it just feels like we have through the pandemic through the trump years and back to gamergate when i think it was really like i guess that's the that's the common out common thread for me is like that that kind of killed killed a lot of um, my ability to engage with this kind of political, cultural stuff the way I used to enjoy doing that, you know? Yeah. And it just became so... Eh. I don't... I'm not trying to put words in your mouth here. Um, and if I'm wrong, obviously tell me. But I, I would say I'm... I'm with you, but I would say it's not because I don't enjoy these conversations. It's just that the lack of trust is because, all right, I've kind of forgot what I was going to say here. 
Let me try to get my, my, my thought process here. It's just like the good faith arguments are gone. Like the conversation that you and I are having or kind of talking around, I would say. Yeah. Because off air, we could probably have a wonderful and you know what? You and I could disagree about a hundred percent of the things we talk about, but you know what? We'll end the conversation completely fine. Oh yeah. And that's what I mean. Like I don't think it's like you're not afraid to write something or talk about it. It's just the long game of it seems so exhausting. It's like, yeah. is it actually worth it? Mm-hmm. It's not fear. It's just, yeah, like it's tiresome. It's futility, yeah. It's, it's, futility it's, is tiresome it's, because mm-hmm. can is this going to spark some sort of conversation that we can build on? No, I already know this. Mm-hmm. So what am I doing it for? Am I doing it for myself? No, because I already know this. And I guess the people that I could have this conversation with I could call them up or I've already had it with them. So mm-hmm. what is the point? It's tricky. Well, it's tricky also because like, so I'm not a huge, like, I don't listen to Joe Rogan a lot because again, I just don't have the time to listen to long ass podcasts, but some Me of my Joe well. Rogan, I, I, I listen and I, I love the platform. Yeah. But it's like, I, I, I don't listen to, I'm not interested in comedians. I'm not interested yeah. in MMA fighters, even though I love all, all that shit. It's just not stuff that I need all the time. But he does talk to a lot of different kind, you know, different people from and different those backgrounds, like interesting people. And I like, I like a lot. I really enjoy his his approach most of the time to just having a conversation, and it's not really about like gotcha stuff, and it's not like trying to argue a bunch. It's just having a conversation. Sometimes I think maybe you should push back a little bit more on some of the kookier stuff, but but whatever, not my business. That's his approach, and he does it well. Um, he's and, and but and yet in our culture that is scorned, like. Yeah. Like people have made him out to be a demonic monster from hell, whereas where he's really just a pretty mild mannered dude, like who has a few ideas that are a little strange, but for the most part is just a normal guy. But that that is a controversial show now. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. It's a controversial show. And what what are we? What can we have anymore? Is it? It's just it has to just be like denouncing things that's what we we have to have now we have to denounce things like i don't i don't want to have and... COVID, the COVID conversation at all i don't but i'll tell you other than me paying attention to things the first significant moment in the COVID conversation came on the joe rogan conversation when nancy pelosi was telling everyone to go to chinatown and and go and enjoy themselves with as many people as they could on national television Rogan had an epidemiologist on saying you should be fucking afraid right now because yeah. shit is coming and you need to be prepared. Yeah. And it was like literally the same week. Oh and God. Like, it's just, okay. Brain breaking, you know? Uh. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> and again, I don't want to have the conversation. Well, he said this, 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 this. I, I just, yeah. Rogan to me has always been very consistent. The topics have always changed. But he's been very consistent. Again, mm-hmm. I may not like always the way he goes about things, but right. never You're not have supposed I ever to. Thought... No, I'm not exactly, man. Like okay. I don't it's okay. I'm not him. I'm not <laughs> right. him. Nor do I know. I don't I, I and no, I don't want to like foster this parasocial relationship with mm. Joe Rogan or anybody. Right. Uh, totally. you know, to, to weird... try to be like, oh, they need to be this. I'm not trying to give that to them. They right. do what they do. He runs a podcast that's always been about, like he said, he's like, dude, I had a, I was doing the same fucking thing when no one listened to me. 
Mm-hmm. Now everyone wants to listen. Like, is it my fault? Like, they're trying to shoulder him with this responsibility. Yeah. Like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, yeah, I don't like know. what he's supposed to fact check everything everybody says and then what not air the episode or something. Like, there's fact checkers for a reason. They can fact check. <laughs> it's even it's, the fact he's not pres- up, Eric. So oh, where yeah. are we even going? the fact checkers. See, there we go. We get back to this this problem with trust and like I just yeah I just want to move into the the forest far I want to you know that um ex machina uh movie right I love it yeah you go out into I want to live there where he lived in the middle of like nowhere in Norway sex robots well maybe 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 not maybe uh but I mean if that's if that's what it comes to yes (laughs) but mainly I just want to get away from all this bullshit and live in the middle of nowhere and have like, you'd have to get there from air, and if if I don't want you there, I could shoot you down. You know, like, <laughs> I I I uh, I just I guess that I guess this is maybe something I need I need to look in look internally more about because I, I get, I'm very isolative, um, and that's a problem. But uh, I just you know, other than my friends and some people that I can actually have a conversation with, like you, um, you know, it's just not a very fun scene to to talk about politics anymore or to to debate or to have opinions or to read the news or to <laughs> pay attention to anything because it's all really depressing i mean yeah, you know covid was covid was rough and the pandemic is rough and like the co- economic situation is bad and i just i think back to like um you know, you know it's it's rough on kids in school it's a it's, it was yeah. a really hard few years on my kids um and i think back to the 90s and i'm like yeah we didn't have you know, we didn't have Spotify, but we had CDs, and we we didn't have Netflix, but we had awesome movies, and we didn't have you know Twitter, but or, or smartphones, but like we went outside and rode bikes, you know, and like bike trails and really yeah. Experience. I mean, dude, I so would create like, my movement, and I'm sure a lot of people say this, right? But I really look at the the '90s age as this the decade that everything changed because well i how old are you i'm 41 okay and i'm 43 so we're relatively and we're basically the same and we saw everything dude when i was Mm -hmm. a baby there were six tracks then there were vinyl then there were tapes and there were cds i went to school without without pcs you know what i mean we were the last generation to go to school without pcs and then they came in like we saw all of this we could respect the world without technology but mm-hmm. then learn to live it with was the it. cusp yeah it really yeah, was because there was some technology like when i was a kid like we had you know my dad had a, a old macintosh computer you know with the big floppy disks and stuff and you know there was like video games right like pong and shit right yeah. like so there was yeah. always some little little bit of technology like a lot of analog technology and yeah we we, went, we moved through that to being like the first generation of like really like computer literate people like from a young age mm-hmm. um but it wasn't a big part of our lives you know and it, now rule our lives we didn't grow right. up this was there we learned it to integrate it into our life that mm-hmm. already existed right mm-hmm. and it's just we saw all these advancements in in film technology and in mm-hmm. audio technology and all this stuff and I, I'm sure everyone points their stuff, but I really think ours is like this this super important decade. And no one else will ever live like that ever again. 
Yeah. Like, we were able to bridge this weird technological divide. And it seems like when you say, oh, technology, whatever. But now technology rules all, for better or for worse. And well, it's we, got to be similar to, like, when people were first experiencing, like, refrigeration or electricity. Where you grew up with one without. And mm-hmm. then within that generation, suddenly, you can refrigerate your, your, your food and you have a light switch. You know, that there was those... Those, those transitional generations throughout, you know, the modern era and certainly like, yeah, having the internet and go, moving from like a fairly analog world to a fairly digital world where you go from basically like landlines to these fucking computers you carry around in your hand all the time, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. It's a crazy, it's a crazy period of time to, to, to kind of come up in. Um, but I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think it's necessarily great. I don't think it's great to come up in a in an era where everyone starts with phones. I don't think that's going to be do anybody any favors. You know, I think it's I think it was better to start on computers where you actually had to learn some stuff. Yeah. Everything's just at your, you know, you don't have any any control over over this. You know, this is just apps. These are these are just things that feed into you. You don't you don't put anything back. So I yeah I get a little worried about that. Um, I definitely but, worried. And and like getting back to something you say, like I would just like to just take off and live in the woods. Part of me would, but like as a parent, That's it's irresponsible. Part. Yeah, <laughs> like, I feel we have a duty uh-huh. to to protect, you know, serve and protect. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We are the cops of our children. <laughs> yeah, like it's just like I can't do that shit. Like I yeah. can't live off the grid. I, I mean, I oh, can't. Yeah, do I that. No. Do you ever see the movie uh, Captain Fantastic? With um, Viggo Mortensen, yes, with uh, Viggo Mortensen and his family, yeah. it's it's a wonderful film. Oh, I yeah. love that movie. I, and you I, know what I, I really like about it? R- before you go, it actually pertains to um, writing, game writing, whatever. But I, he he disdains the word interesting as a descriptive. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because it means uh, bullshit, and I hear it uh-huh. all the time. And I'm like, he is so fucking right. Don't use it. I know. Right. Yeah, it's so that was a great moment. Is, what is what does that mean? It doesn't mean right. anything. It's a cop out word for sure. I often find myself see this is the problem with having to produce a lot of content is that you find yourself falling into these sort of lazy traps. Like when someone's talking, uh, yeah, interesting. interesting, interesting. Which you clearly yeah. don't mean. Um, yeah, but there's those things like that where, where yeah, that made that really. I really liked that part of the movie. I like a lot of that movie. Um, uh, his disdain for a lot of things. It's interesting because he's he's such a he's like a a, a Marxist basically, right? Um, they where they have like Noam Chomsky, a lot of Chomsky. Um, yeah. but uh, but he disdains modern modern the modern world in the same way that I would say someone like J.R.R. Tolkien disdains the modern disdained the modern world in his time. You know, mm-hmm. Tolkien was was an anti industrialist, right? He was, absolutely. Uh, he wanted he wanted nothing to do war. with that, right? Yeah. So, so like he's an art. He's sort of a conservative Catholic, uh, and then you know, uh, Captain Fantastic Vigo's character in that movie is it's kind of a Marxist or a, a arch leftist. But they both have this similar critique of consumerism and the way that the world has sort of become just corporate consumerist driven kind of bullshit. And that's really it's really interesting because that's that's the kind of politics that I find interesting. Interesting. I just said it. That I find engaging. Yeah, but you used right? it with context. You know what I yeah. mean? You didn't use right, it right. as like... That's what I want to engage with. <laughs> after you said what you said, if I was to say interesting, that would yeah. be the... That, okay, fair enough. Yeah. I guess yeah. I'm using it in an appropriate way, right? I find that kind of 
that that sort of political discussion about things. You know, it's like it's like when people are on the right are like, oh, it's the war on Christmas. I saw a Fox News segment where they were talking about that with a priest and the priest was like, uh, the war on Christmas is all these companies trying to sell you stuff for Christmas. Yeah. That's a war on Christmas, in my in my opinion. And the, the you know, the the Fox News hosts were like, oh, wait, I thought you were going to join us in this. Like, oh, the, the liberals are trying to destroy Christmas. It's like Christmas is destroyed, guys. Christmas was destroyed a long, long time the ago. Consumers controlled it. And <laughs> you know, in like, my own personal household, like I'm not a religious person. I know Christmas technically is a religious holiday, but I don't look at it as such. Sure. I just look at it as a time for family. And I I celebrate it as such and we get together and that's all it's about. Like now, like I don't need I don't want presents. I don't want anything. Right. I don't want if I want something, I'll buy it. <laughs> Please don't buy me things that I don't need. Vice uh-huh. versa. I don't want to have to be holding. Now, children, different thing. I will sure. buy your kid's gift. But let's just get together, great meal, couple cocktails, mm-hmm. and and sh- build like this bond. Play That's some games for me. Watch some watch some movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I love. I another thing that I love and that I'm so bad. I always say I'm going to do this. I love the the service aspect of it, like people who go out and help people at Christmas, who it's go wonderful. work at the food banks. I mean, if you want to you want to inhabit, like that's the spirit of it, right? Absolutely, and um, and I want to, you know, as my kids get older, my my goal, and this is something I have to do with my extended family, my parents. Like, I think I think a lot of people like buying presents for Christmas, you know, but I'm like, please let's stop buying presents. Like, let's just do stuff. Let's just do stuff. Maybe let's go work at the food bank this year. Yeah. Let's, you know, and let's donate some toys to toys for tots. Let's do that kind of thing. Um, because really like, yeah, Christmas, Christmas presents. I have nothing against them for kids. I think it's, it's a beautiful thing to see kids excited on Christmas morning and all that shit. Um, but and and I'm not a religious person either. I, I do. I sometimes like to go to mass on Christmas just because I think it's beautiful. Um, I do as well. I, I'm right yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, but I think that really when it when it all comes down, like yeah, it's that's a time for family. That's why um, like Thanksgiving, I enjoy Thanksgiving so much because there's no pretense of of gifts or consumerism mm. with with Thanksgiving except for Black Friday starts on <laughs> Thanksgiving now or like the day before. It's sort of horrible. It's a hor- I like don't even write about Black Friday stuff anymore, even though it's it's usually pretty good traffic because I just find the whole thing so gross. Yeah, um, it's boring. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but yeah. So um, I don't know how we got on Christmas and so. Oh yeah, Captain uh, Fantastic. Just the, the boxes on Christmas. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. This it's it's just this is the kind of stuff that I find interesting. Again, that word, but um, you know, and this is the kind of stuff that was is not talked about that much when we talk when we talk politics. It's like. Oh, Biden did this or Trump did that, and it's like ah, it's just this, this chatter, 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 and we should, we shouldn't do, you know. And it's it just it's exhausting, and it's it's and really the root problems of our society go so much deeper than any one president or political party or any of these the deep cultural issues. You know, we t- you know, we see the school shootings, and you know that the gun control won't even, won't even solve these because there's something. Like deeply wrong fucking broken and again i mean i guess talking we about rogan said we have a mental health issue mm-hmm. in the west he says in america but in the west and it's being disguised as a gun issue right um it's just that we have no I, I think that's a i think that's a very broad point way to talk about it mm-hmm. which there is nuance there but i actually think it's very correct but i mean i guess and another gentleman we talked about was Colin uh, Moriarty, who I, I recently on a podcast, he asked somebody 
he had a conversation similar to this. I guess I, I'll pose this question to you. Is there any way to come back from this? From the gun stuff? No. Or this, from the brokenness of... Politicization oh. of everything that we have gotten to the point in in 2022. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is. There is... Do you? So this is... I think okay. that this... that the, Like the tide or like the 90s from the 80s and the political correctness and the backlash to that, I think that you're going to see people, younger people, start rebelling against the people that were just a little bit older than them. Like we have these young people that are kind of coming up in this sort of identity politics, PC woke thing, right? There's very least gender and race, anti-racism and all this stuff is very big and very censorious, very politically correct. The people right below them that are going to come up into that are going to bristle at it. They're going to be the ones who say, fuck this. I don't want you to tell me what to do. What's going to happen is it's, it's, it's not going to be like a political movement that changes things. It's going to be a cultural movement where people are just like, nah, this is dumb. I mean, even my own daughter, like who's 15, once said to me, the kids in my school are stupid. They think they can cancel Eminem. <laughs> I was like, yeah. She's like, they can't cancel Eminem. It's not possible. I'm like, you're right. See, this is a, this is a bad way to like exist. To think that you can cancel all the things that you don't like or because they, because the, they're, you just you it's it's futile it's, fut- it's futile and if you do cancel somebody it's probably because they were too weak to defend themselves you know and that's yeah. just bullying so I think there's going to come a point where where people young people are going to be just so sick of it well that's gonna where it's going to have to come from Eric yeah, because youth, it is youth is rebellion it's yeah. always been that and pretty I, soon this rebellion will be the thing to rebel against. And I sincerely hope so. I, I do fear there's some infrastructure in place that wants to counter or anticipate that some sort of rebellion, which I don't know. I, I feel like rebellion in the past was always spontaneous and um, we adjusted as such, or at least the next generation did. But now, I, like I do, I, I'm sure every parent's, been afraid it's funny this podcast I, I i wanted to interview you about your 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 career and and games and and then broadcast that but it's it's been a lot about parenthood in, in a way mm-hmm. uh but I'll, I'll just say as i'm sure all parents have always had fears but i do fear for my kid going to school these days yes and Hopefully i so and I, 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 I look at it like this. I guess I'm just going to go full born because I do talk about this. I, I think there's a lot of parents out there who are our age or, or maybe a little bit younger who think school is the way it was when they went to school. Right. And they're so preoccupied with their lives because lives today require both parents to work. And they're just trying to figure their relationship out and keep it together maybe mm-hmm. and communicate and have a little bit of time for each other. And they're like, when the kids are at school, they're okay, Eric. You know, we trust that they're okay. But with some of the things we hear today, and I'm not buying whole stock into the fear thing. It's just, I think there is a healthy thing. Uh, I think there is a reason to be worried about a lot of things that are going on in academia, higher and lower. And I just, I I, I don't know. I, I just... A lot of people aren't prepared for for what's coming, and I, I I talk. I'm fortunate because I'm in. I suppose I'm informed as much as someone could mm-hmm. be, but I look forward to or not look forward to. I anticipate hard conversations. Mm-hmm. I have a two year old who will be three 
next July who will eventually go to school. And I, I, I look at what he's going into and I'm just like, oh, man, like, yeah. I know what's oh, there. Yeah. And I know the pitfalls and the dangers. And I just hope wrapping back in like this, this, this new generation that my son represents has it in them to 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 buck the trend that or, or at least they have the spirit that youth has always had mm -hmm. i mean through modernity and before i mean most historical movements of rebellion uh, politicized anything have always been driven by the youth whether mm -hmm. they were started at an elevated level or not but they were pushed forward from the youth getting involved but it's like definitely i don't know if the infrastructure that has been put into place now to ward off, it's almost like they anticipate this 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 balking, and they is the nebulous they. I, I mean, I don't know what that represents. I don't want to describe it, but I don't know, man. I guess I'm kind of afraid. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's 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 good to some level of fear is healthy, right? Because um, there is a lot. Like, I mean, I you know having a 15 year old who really hates school and. Um, it's been very hard and it's been a real struggle. And I think that there's just, it's not just, you know, the political side of things, the agenda driven things. It's also just the social aspect of school now is so different. Having, yeah. you know, I mean, and I'd say, you know, every generation says that, but we have, we're in a unique position. I mean, like suicide has demonstrably increased since the advent of the iPhone. That's a fact. It's Statistically, a fact. suicide among young people, especially has gone up in truly scary ways and mental health and what issues does it coincide with it's with social media with the constant online the constant politics and then of course on top of that the fucking pandemic which just has ripple effects the shutdown of schools which obviously probably never should have happened because kids didn't even really spread that shit but yeah. just the the impact on people's mental health and economic well-being and um, on top of what was already a very fragile population of young people, you know, like <laughs> the, 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 the phones for young people have been a total curse on their yes. mental well-being and the, the new social environment that, you know, teenage girls and teenage boys, but especially teenage girls, I think, find themselves in. I mean, for one thing, with social media, with a phone that takes pictures at any time, I mean, the, the, the social ramifications of any mistake or social faux pas are so much more uh, destructive yeah. now than they were. You can't fuck up the way you used to be able to. No. And you're, you're, it's, it's the, the panopticon has become... What, yeah, like, it's what is youth about? It's about right. learning from fuck ups, mistakes. Yeah, That's this, we, you know, we worried in 2000, or I worried anyways, in 2001 uh, after the Patriot Act and stuff was passed about the surveillance state, but the surveillance state is the surveillance culture. It's not just a state, you know, everybody's monitoring everybody all the time. And it's not even necessarily with like this intent to inform upon, but it's just there. You're always it's observed. conditioned to do it without them actually knowing they were. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fucked up. It's yeah, it fucked is. up. It makes me want to move into the middle of the forest Away from everybody. You see what I mean? Hey, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Interesting, yeah. yes. No, oh, I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, that is a whole other bag of worms. And it's funny, again, I don't, Rogan has had wonderful conversations and psychologists and, and 
top of the line people in those fields having those hard conversations about social mm-hmm. media and shit. And like, there's no um, conversation about let's wait for the data to decide. No, the data is in. We mm-hmm. understand what this has done to this generation. It's the next generation that is coming that we need to balk and, and, and teach. Because listen, we used to think technology was a great thing. Whole stock, period, mm-hmm. end of story. But now we've learned it's not. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And we've been learning that in different ways for a long time. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the nuclear bomb. Oh my God, wow, look what technology can do. I mean, or chemical warfare, the trench warfare of, of World War One. that's technology. Uh, you know, the, for every move forward in, in medical technology, there's some horrible new weapon that can fucking kill everybody or, or uh, you know, a virus that leaks out of a lab and, and destroys the whole world. <laughs> like, like uh, along the way, like, dude, this has been a wonderful conversation. Like, I feel like yeah, we can go cool. on honestly forever, like in terms of like, totally. We should just have uh, a we, we're going to have to have a follow up. <laughs> hundred percent. And, yeah. you know, we can talk once we shut this down about, you know, how we progress off the air. But yeah, um, totally. I should probably take like, care of my kids at a certain point, though. But we've been going yeah. for two hours, 20 minutes here. Yeah. So how do we wrap this up? I don't know. Like, we've gone all over the place here. I will just uh, say, what do I say here? I mean, there's the one thing we just talked about the nuclear bomb. Are you excited for the movie Orwell? Uh, or, or well, what, what's uh, the new Christopher Nolan movie? I don't With, know. Uh, honestly, I don't think I've even heard about it. Let me look it up. He, um, not Orwell. Sorry, uh, Oppenheimer. Oh yeah, Oppenheimer. Why did I okay, Orwell? I did hear about. Well, I mean Orwell, Oppenheimer. There's yeah, twentieth right. century right. important figure. Shit. Oppenheimer yeah. has to do with the the nuclear bomb. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I like. I really like Christopher Nolan. Um, what is, uh, my name is Ozymand- Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty yeah. in despair. That's how I would end this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, uh, I have not really looked into the Oppenheimer movie much, but, um, I have heard, heard about it. it I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. And, Sounds uh, nu- nuclear bomb stuff. Yeah, film and television is your pivot, but it's. Yeah, I'm, I'm having oh, yeah. a hard mm-hmm. time. I'm usually good at wrapping things in a bow and how to end a podcast or a conversation, but I don't really know how to do this. But all I'll say is this has been a wonderful conversation, a second a of, of ours, mm-hmm. and we're definitely going to have more. Totally. Um, where can people find you, Eric? Um, well, I have a YouTube channel and I have a blog at Forbes. Um, you can Google my name, Eric Kane. Um, I'm on Twitter, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I have a Substack called Diabolical, where I write about all kinds of random shit. I have no idea what I'm doing with that, so I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, yeah, here and there. I'll pimp uh, one of your uh, Diabol- Diabolical podcasts. Was the one with Austin Wintory, who I'm a big That's fan fine. of. And yeah. in addition, I'm a massive fan of, of video game music. Oh my um, god! Yes, me too. For me, one of the best parts of, of video games. <laughs> and just listening to composers talk and like, well, again, Austin is so interesting too. That guy could have just talked the whole time without me even being there. Isn't that <laughs> he was, great? Though? He was so great. Yeah, he was so great. I was, I was just like, wow, this guy. He can just. He has so many stories, and he's, he's just fascinating. It was, it was great to, uh, to talk with him. 
and I've I don't know he's a he's a really cool dude like ever since uh, I mean just for years he's just been always somebody that it randomly could just like talk to online and just friendly on Twitter or you know just a good guy one of the good guys for sure and that is one of the silver linings of social media and especially Twitter which mm -hmm. I don't engage but it's allowed me to converse with people like yourself um, mm -hmm. and other people like people that I never thought I would be able to talk to but you 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 get to garner amidst this whole sea of shit mm -hmm. there's these or linings that uh, you can pull people out of the ether and and connect with. And maybe I'm, that's I'm, yeah. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's one one part of the answer is to is to focus on that. You know, to focus on engaging with people who are, you know, chill and compassionate and good, and to not let the the bad, the sociopaths, the, the manipulators, and uh, the agenda-driven, you know, have have a have power over you, you know, right. um, just have to try to so energy yeah. that that, that yeah. swallow up mind space, not only time but but mind space. Thinking about it, yeah, like if you're going to engage online, I, I I'm quickly become a proponent of the people that just say their piece, connect with the people that they they choose mm -hmm. to connect with, and then the rest of it is just shit that is. Yeah. Out the window. Push it's not it easy. You, you know the best kind of the stuff. The best advice I got, and I guess you know, uh, was you know the the coiner of the phrase of the hashtag Gamergate himself, Adam Baldwin, told me, "Be a happy warrior," and I thought that was great. Yeah, happy warrior. That's good. Be a happy warrior. Yeah, I've never heard that. Yeah, Adam Baldwin, the man himself. He told me. You know what? I might call this conversation the happy word. There we go. It's perfect. <laughs> All right, man. Well, well, thanks so much. Yes. Thank you. Uh, hold on. Give me a couple more seconds, but we'll sign okay. off here. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Uh, this has been the Rose Experience with Eric Kane. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Have a great night or day. <laughs>